Dallas, Texas, we're coming at you, baby. May 12th, coming to Grand Prairie, Texas. I know it's not Dallas, but if you say Grand Prairie, the Canadians get all excited. But nobody goes to Grand Prairie. I think I've been to Grand Prairie, but I'm not going this time. Uh, Verizon Wireless Theater, May 12th, with Ian Edwards and Tony motherfucking Hinchcliffe. Then... Uh, next date I got going on that's for sale is July 7th. That's at the Ka Theater at the MGM in Las Vegas, Nevada. Everything else is sold out. Um, all the other dates that I have and um, new ones will be announced very soon. I got a bunch of shit happening. Lots. Lots of shit happening. Uh, this episode of the podcast and all of them are brought to you by Onnit. Onnit is a total human optimization company. I'm on it right now. I am. I, t- I took some Alpha Brain before this podcast, like I do before every podcast. Alpha Brain is a t- it is a uh, complete nootropic formula. It is a human cognitive function enhancing supplement. Wait, what exactly? Go to the website and read about it. But what it is essentially is nutrients that um, provide the building blocks for human neurotransmitters. And there's been two double-blind placebo-controlled studies done at the Boston Center for Memory that show improvements in verbal memory, processing speed, and peak alpha flow state, whatever that means. Um, you'll, you'll get all the results if you uh, go to the Onnit page and click on the Alpha Brain link and explain it. But what it does for me, it, it helps my brain function smoother. It helps my sentences come out smoother. It helps me search for things less. A, a giant part of what I do for a living involves my brain, whether it's uh, doing it on using it for a podcast, using it for stand-up comedy, using it when I'm doing UFC commentary. I need my memory. I need my brain to function at 100%, and I feel like Alpha Brain benefits me in a big way. Um, it's just one of the many supplements that we carry it on it. One thing about our supplements, though, is we have a 100% money-back guarantee on them. We don't want you to return the product. Just say it sucks, and you get your money back. Why? Because they don't suck. If, if you're a fucking crazy person and you need your money back, that's fine. But what we're trying to do is provide people with all of the best shit that we can find, whether it's things like Shroom Tech Sport, which is a cordyceps mushroom supplement that helps enhance your cardio and uh, your ability to push through workouts. It is a phenomenal workout supplement. And it's not, it doesn't get you all speedied up, too. It's not like a, a stimulant. But it's B12, cordyceps mushrooms, and it helps with oxygen utilization. All of this stuff, again, explained way better at onnit.com. New Mood, which is actually literally improves your mood. It is a supplement that provides 5-HTP and L-tryptophan, two things. L-tryptophan converts to 5-HTP. 5-HTP converts to serotonin. It literally helps your brain produce more serotonin, makes you happier. Supplements that find the building blocks in in these foods, they extract them, and we, we sell them, you eat them, your body literally produces more of the things that you need to optimize your performance. That's what we're all about. And that's what Honor is all about. What we're all about is providing you with the inspiration through the Honor Academy link. You're, you're taken to a, se- a section of the website that has some great interviews, some great articles on exercise physiology, on nutrition, and uh, hundreds of articles, all of those for free. And 
there's an actually a physically an honor. There's an actual physical honor Academy, which is in Austin, Texas, state of the art equipment, great instruction and bang Muay Thai. We have uh, Dwayne bang Ludwig's Muay Thai system is being taught there as well as 10th planet jujitsu. So it's uh, what it's sort of that gym embodies what we're trying to do at on it. Uh, we have the best kettlebells we can find. Um, all sorts of different equipment for functional strength, things like battle ropes, kettlebells, steel maces, steel clubs. We have workout DVDs, all kinds of groovy shit. And right now there's a gigantic savings thing that goes on. It ends Friday, this Friday. Today, right now, it's Wednesday, um, April 26th. It ends on the 28th, and it ends at 2 p.m. Central Time. 20% off all supplements right now, 18% off foods, 15% off fitness, great great savings, 25% off apparel, uh, and more. Go to onit.com, uh, and if you're getting this after the sale's over, just use the code word ROGAN, and you can save 10% off any and all supplements. You people, you. We're also brought to you by LegalZoom, which is a fantastic resource if you need to deal with some legal shit online. If you've ever had to... Do anything uh, legal, anything that involves a lawyer, you know it's a huge issue. You have to make appointments. You have to park your car or take the bus. You have to take time out of your daily schedule because most lawyers work during normal business hours. Well, LegalZoom allows you to do a tremendous amount of these things online in the privacy of your own home on your schedule. You can form a corporation, you can form an LLC, you can form a nonprofit, and more. LegalZoom has also been helping business owners of every kind for 15 years. They've been around for a long time. And they have a U.S.-based team of customer support professionals to help you just a click away. They give legal advice. LegalZoom is not a law firm, so they built a network of independent attorneys who can review contracts, interpret employment laws, and help you navigate through the legal world. And there's no surprises. With LegalZoom, you get upfront pricing, customer reviews, and a satisfaction guarantee. So how's that? For complete transparency, ladies and gentlemen, and that's how LegalZoom can help you get started and run your business. Hmm. Go to LegalZoom.com now and make sure you enter the code word ROGAN at checkout for special savings. LegalZoom.com. Enter the code word ROGAN. We're also brought to you by me all-time favorite underwear, MeUndies. I wear them every day. That is a fact. I do not wear other underwear. I would. It's not like I have to. But I choose to wear me undies because they feel the best. They literally are the superior underwear. They're the best underwear that I've ever worn. They're made out of a sustainable, sustainably sourced fabric called Micro Moldal. It is three times softer than cotton, and they feel fucking great. Uh, they come in an ever-changing selection of classic colors, Interesting designs, adventurous patterns, and you can tailor your undies to your own personal style. And you can save time and money each month with a monthly subscription. If you're not ready for a subscription, that's okay. You can still save because MeUndies is offering you 20% off your first pair. They also 
will let you keep your first pair for free and refund your money if you don't think they're the fucking most awesome underwear on the planet Earth. They are. They're just the best. There's, they're better than any underwear I've ever tried. I've tried a bunch of different kinds of underwear in all my years on this planet. Me undies are the one underwear, although I said, fuck all these other underwear. I gave away my other underwear to Goodwill. That's true. Go to MeUndies.com forward slash Rogan, and you will get 20% off your first pair. So, try them out. I'm telling you, they're fucking fantastic. I've met a bunch of people. It's a very odd conversation. People are like, dude, thanks for turning me on to MeUndies. It's weird. You know, you're talking about, like, something that touches your dick, and people get weird about that stuff. Or your vag. Anyway, MeUndies.com forward slash Rogan. Go there, and you'll get 20% off your first pair. MeUndies.com forward slash Rogan. Rogan. We did it. All right, folks. My guest today is a real good friend of mine, Dan Doty. Uh, Dan, I met him in 2012 when I did the show Meat Eater with Steve Rinella. We went on this um, hunt together and camped together and just got to know him. He's a very cool, very smart, very sincere guy, and I always enjoy talking to him. He's been on the podcast a couple times before uh, by himself once when we were driving back this past summer from a, a trip in uh, Nevada together. And uh, once before when he was the producer of my friend Remy Warren's show, Apex Predator. So give it up for my pal, Dan Doty. Joe Rogan Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Yes, Dan Doty. Yes, hey. we're live. What's up, brother? How How's are you, man? Good to see you. Good to see you, too, man. So, uh, for people who don't know, uh, I met Dan way back in 2012. Doesn't That seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? It seems like uh, at least half of my life, which is not even close to Why is that true? Now. I mean, why is it like... Five years. It was five years ago. Yeah, four thought, and a half years ago. Well, that was back when it was October of 2012. I thought there was only two months left in the world because I thought the Mayan calendar was correct. And it was oh my God. December 21st, 2012 was going to end the world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, so you fucked off and went to Montana to uh, <laughs> go on a boat ride with us. Yeah, we took yeah. Uh, we took a canoe down the Missouri River. That was fucking awesome, man. Wasn't that wild? Oh, it's one of my favorite trip. trips ever. It was cold. Really cold. Like, not fun cold it was the yeah. kind of cold that it sucked know. but once you got moving it was fine yeah you know and i i learned about merino wool that yeah. was the important that was an important lesson like the first light merino wool like yeah. that for people who don't know if you're ever in a cold area it's so important that you have a base layer of merino wool because that shit gets wet and you stay warm even if you sweat in it you stay warm it's and it really doesn't weird. stink half as much as, as the uh, synthetic versions yeah at all yeah. it's weird like some people really like synthetics in some weird way like have a, you used them or did you yeah, get, you have i have this yeah. i smell terrible see i actually don't care I, I like them both but i just you know working with those guys for so long and, and first light i got used to it i like yeah. it i like it but i used synthetics for 10 years before that and i mean i didn't smell good but i didn't really care a know? lot of mountaineering people like some synthetics because yeah. they dry quicker yeah but I, I feel like the one of the best benefits of the wool is that when it is wet, it still retains your warmth. And I don't mind being a little moist. Well, the synthetics will keep you warm, too, when they're wet. Just it, it's a slightly different value. Like cotton will not, right? Right, cotton but, won't co Cotton will not. But a synthetic like uh, capillin that Patagonia uses or other things, th they also will. They won't, they won't kill you. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the, the merino has some other 
better qualities. I yeah, think. it's just yeah. well, the stink thing's huge because okay. I fucking smell terrible. That was a fun trip, man. That was actually the first episode <laughs> of of that show that I um, that I fully kind of shot and directed myself. So that that was kind of a big uh, stage for me. It was fun. I just basically hung out with Callan in the woods <laughs> for, Dude, for a week. When you have when you have Callan, when Callan has a, like a captive audience, he's the funniest man alive. I will never forget a few <laughs> scenes. I, I won't share them, but a few scenes from that campfire. Do you remember uh, the ravine comer? Oh, I remember. Oh, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> I remember him taking a shit literally 10 feet from our campfire. <laughs> His ass sticking out. And we put a flag in it. I took pictures of it. I have that <laughs> shit. And we put an aluminum flag on it and stuck it in there. I've never touched another man's shit other than his. I tried to set up a hunt for myself last year in the breaks, and it just ended up didn't happening. But uh, it's one of my favorite places. Man. Oh, it's, it's so lonely out there, but so amazing. That area is so... It's such a perfect place to introduce Callan and I to the, yeah. the world of hunting because yeah. it's so wild. Well, it's multifaceted too. You have a lot of history there. You have the, uh, you know, it's it's one of those areas where it's a complete wilderness experience because you're on the water, right? Yeah. You, we're not crossing roads. Like we got dropped off at the end of a road and floated to basically the next road down the river, which yeah, is a big deal. We floated 40 miles down yeah. over the course of, what was it, six days? Is one, are one of these bucks... Yeah, that one that right buck? there. That's oh, yeah. the buck right there. Hey, buddy. Hey, fella. Uh, That's a different time. That was in Wisconsin. That was when we were in Wisconsin, that video that you just put up. But um, when we did do that, man, it was uh, that was where Lewis and Clark had made some stops on oh, their yeah. expedition. Yeah. And that's where that was one of the coolest things about doing it with Rinella, because he knows so much about the history of the United States and the the settling of the United States, and also the Nez Perce Indian stories that he would tell us. Oh yeah, he could talk shit. for years. Yeah, and Lifetimes. that's when I heard the story about the what the real story, the original story about the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, The Revenant, like what really happened oh, before he told they turned you that it story. into a movie. Okay, yeah, he told me that story, the actual story about the guy that got left behind and crawled back many many miles what's the guy's name do you remember? I don't remember the actual yeah, guy's remember. name but there's so much they made up in the movie it's just kind of brutal yeah it was a freaky movie it was especially a freaky the grizzly movie. bear attack yeah was, was a real freaky thing the real grizzly bear attacks though man I, I bet the real grizzly just kind of swatted that dude once and then just he fell down and then it left him alone why do you think that because that thing would have torn him to pieces <laughs> yeah it was a giant bear too yeah. i just Fuck bears, man. They scare the shit out of me. I they wonder really what the do. average length of time of a bear attack, like how long does it last? <sighs> Two seconds? 30 well, seconds? Well, the um, that movie Grizzly Man, apparently the audio of him getting killed by the bear is like seven minutes long. I listened to that. That was terrible. No, it's not real. The one you listen to online is not real. Oh, no shit. It's fake. Yeah. Yeah. The actual no. audio was never released. My life is a lie. <laughs> yeah. I, somebody sent it to me too, but then I looked into it and- um, Werner Herzog and the woman who owns the actual audio, they got rid of it. They, they destroyed it. They never listened to it. And Werner Herzog actually told her to destroy it in the documentary. Hmm. So the one, when you hear it online, it's just fake. And then oh, once you know it's fake and you listen to it, you go, oh, this shit's fake. You, like, you can hear it. All right. You want to hear I'm, it? I'm not going to listen to it again. I mean, sure, yeah. I don't to really it. want can, to. Play, see if you can find it. Grizzly Man Audio. You hear it and you go, oh, yeah, this isn't real. That's one of my top five movies of all time, though. It's a great movie. It's an incredible movie. It's one of the funniest movies ever as far as yeah. unintentional comedy. Oh, my God. It's funny. <laughs> when the, was it the sheriff? The sheriff goes, well, I thought he was retarded. 
<laughs> here. So here, you hear like screams and shit. Here. Oh, the fox. Audio bear attack. Hear how f- oh. Why is it echoing? Hear the echo? Yeah. That's That was done in a room. All these, these voices... These supposed to be man, it's supposed to be in the woods. Oh, okay. Yeah, these that audio is unquestionably done in a room somewhere. Oh, see yeah. how it's resonating. No, I get it. Yeah, no, yeah, totally. It's fake. Of course. See now you know those motherfuckers. Well, they got us. Do you think they benefited from creating that? <sighs> probably. Yeah. Like somebody, some money. Yeah, somebody probably yeah. put up some YouTube ads and made some cash. All right. It's entirely possible, or they just did it for fun. It sounded like people were having a good time. Like, as the guy's yelling, it sounds like you can almost kind of, like, hear in his yells, like, holy shit, someone's going to believe this. This is so ridiculous. Yeah. But it supposedly lasted seven minutes. Because the bear just started eating him. Wait, so what's that? What is that stat? That's not from... Like the real no, audio, the actual last, the audio, actual audio yeah. seven minutes. Because long. the bear's okay. not trying to kill him. Yeah, it's just eating him. Yeah, because bears apparently. Well, I've seen bears kill moose in videos, and they just start eating them. They don't kill them right first. away. They yeah. I know wolves do too. Wolves do too. They just eat right away. They start right at the back end and start just start chowing. eating you. Yeah. They don't. They don't bother. They don't have the decency. Like <laughs> at least a mountain lion kills you. You know, cats kill yeah. you. Bears and wolves, they just eat you. Yeah, I guess they just don't need to. They don't yeah. need to incapacitate you. I mean, Why? you're there. Well, I, I think it's also a thing with omnivores. Omnivores, I think, don't have that instinct to instantly kill. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but that doesn't make that. sense, though. My theory sucks because of wolves. Because wolves, yeah, right. wolves are wolves carnivores. Break that. Yeah, so maybe it's uh, interesting. I don't know. I mean, they they do that because they have to, right? Like that's how they they take they take down a running animal. That's yeah. how a wolf kills. They snap at the legs, right? Yeah, and then they just uh, it's the easiest, softest part of the animal. Yeah. They just start eating on the back end. I was listening yeah. to a podcast today about wolves in Idaho, where they were talking about how when you go deep into the backcountry where people can't get to, or where mm-hmm. it's very difficult, really rocky terrain, the wolves are just running rampant out there. They just have so many wolves there. Ever seen one in the wild? No. You should put that on your list. I actually did see one in Alberta, uh-huh. I think. But it was at twilight, and it was dog-sized, and it ran across the road, and it was a little too big to be a coyote. Sure. In my mind. But I thought I saw a wolf for like two seconds, and it was a squirrel. So take that with a grain <laughs> of thought. <laughs> I've seen a couple. The, the most memorable, we were, we were in a, a valley in Alaska, and it was dusk. And, uh, you know, just two massive mountain ranges on each side. And, uh, I don't know, it might have been Giannis. Somebody yelled and somebody spotted one across the river. And we went and looked at it. And it was, it was, man, my, my memory is failing. It was either pure white. I think it was pure white. And it just, I swear to God, it shone. I, I, it just, like, emanated light. And it was the most, like, regal, beautiful, just, like, perfect, perfect. And it just sort of trotted along the river and disappeared back in the woods. And... They're amazing animals. Ah, no, it's incredible. I was thinking about this morning uh, on a hike here. I was looking for mountain lion tracks, but you know the sign at the trailhead says you know, gives you warning about mountain lions. They're it, out here for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I never really. Um, I don't know. The only thing that ever gives me pause in the woods is is a grizzly because you know Steve and I we got charged that once, and ever since that happened, my uh, bear radar is 
more intense. Yeah. Well, it's just such a freaky animal. Yeah. When you see what a grizzly really is, it's essentially a thousand pound giant wild dog. Have you seen those in the wild yourself yet? Grizzly? Yeah. No, never okay. seen a grizzly. Yeah. Not in the wild. Yeah. I've seen them, you know, live in a sanctuary and I've seen a lot of, oh no, I did see a grizzly. I saw a small grizzly in Alberta uh, last year. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. it wasn't that big. It was like maybe six and a half, seven feet. It was from a, a stand, were you pretty close? Yeah, him? it was yeah. very close. It was like 30 or 40 yards from us. Yeah. Yeah. But it took off pretty quick. Yeah. But it wasn't a grizzly. Like they had some trail cam photos of like fucking tankers. Mm-hmm. They were goddamn VW buses. This was like a juvenile. So it was probably, like I said, probably like six and a half feet or something like that. Which so is, where, where I live in Bozeman, so. It's literally a line right where we are. So south of us is the Gallatin Range and the Madison Range, just full, full of grizzlies. Yeah. But just north of town, there's the Bridger Range and a couple other ranges too. And <clears throat> for whatever reason, that is an impasse to the population of bears. Why is more that? or less? Do they have any ideas? I, I mean, it might be um, just physicality. It might be actually, you know, Steve Rinald would be the one to. I've heard him talk about this. He would know exactly, but it's either a physical impasse or it's it's the human, uh, the proximity to humans of the of the town and all this. But the way that it relates is that, you know, if I'm going to go hiking with my little baby boy, I choose to go north right. just just because, you know, yeah. I, I don't think I would have always thought that way. And, and I carry bear spray usually. And you I don't carry even, a pistol? I don't. I probably will in the future you just know because. That, that guy, he was from Bozeman that got attacked last yeah. year. Yeah. He got tore up, man. That was horrific. Oh, yeah. His, his scalp is hanging off his head while he's making the video. It was a gnarly and video. And he wasn't hunting. He was just hiking. Yeah. He was scouting. And um, he used bear spray, and it didn't work. It was a sow with her cubs. Yeah. And and so that's about, I don't know, 50 miles from where I live is where he got hit. Bro. 60 miles, something like that's that. so close. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, so, n- nothing to mess around with, man. I think it's awesome that they, they exist. I really, I think it's so cool that they exist. I don't want them to not exist. But at the same time, I don't want to be near them. Yeah. You know, I don't want to encounter them. So it's, it's so uh, See, I, I, yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm more sensitive to them now. I really have a deep, deep uh, love for them. Yeah. Sharks, on the other hand, we could just kill them. Yeah, <laughs> those I just fucking don't things. care, man. What's weird, people are getting like really touchy-feely about sharks because they hear all about these sharks getting slaughtered for shark fin soup. Oh, so, really? like, yeah, the governor, I think, of New York caught a shark um, fishing totally legal. And not an endangered fish at all. Hmm. And he got so much hate because people who it's like we were talking before about science that so many people want to argue things online, but they don't want to actually like look into like, what are the studies that have been done? How much do people actually know? What is the, no, people want to have an opinion. They have this like narrow window of information and I'm just going to run with my opinion and say, fuck you for killing that shark. Oh yeah. You know, I don't think people have time necessarily to go investigate everything they have an opinion about. No, you know, which is an issue. No, but they do have time to tweet about it. (laughs) Get mad at the governor. Was it the governor or was it the mayor of New York? That that got in trouble for the shark. Well, you didn't get in trouble because what he did was totally legal, and they cooked it. And mako shark is delicious. Oh, sharks are the best I've ever had. Yeah, Yeah. in Puerto Rico, they serve they serve shark everywhere. Like you go to a a food stand, they fry shark, put it on a stick. It's it's a fish. I mean, it's an ocean. It's an ocean out there. It is. New York governor sparks anger after killing threatened shark, but it's not threatened. That's not true. Why does it say threatened shark? That's not a threatened animal. Thresher shark? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that. But it said threatened, right? It said thresher. Did it say in the the headline? Yeah, yeah. Oh, threatened. Oh yeah, it said threatened. 
I don't think that's true. <clears throat> I do not think that's a threatened animal. I'd have to look at it. I have All no three species of thresher shark is listed as vulnerable by the International Union for Conservation of Nature because of their declining populations. Fishing for them is regulated in the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, but it is not illegal. Oh, okay. Despite its legality, UN patrons of the ocean, Louis Pug, said the killing and subsequent photos were abhorrent. Oh, he might be a twat. And worked <laughs> against those trying to conserve dwindling shark numbers. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe he's right. I know that some of them are not. I don't know, man. I mean, you, you can't really control what kind of fish you catch when you go fishing. And if you catch a fish that's legal, I don't know, what yeah. do you do? The problem with catch and release, this is a dirty secret, ladies and gentlemen, because people do go catch and release fishing. And I've released fish before. A lot of them die. It's, it's kind of weird. Like oh, uh, yeah, I don't, is, is that a secret still, you think? I mean, that's... For some folks. Okay, yeah. Yeah, not sure. for you. Sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about it. I mean, it'd be like <laughs> taking you and I and dunking us underwater for five minutes and putting us back. Yeah, or even you know? worse, shoving a fucking barb through your face. Oh, yeah. And then drowning yeah. us. Yeah. Because that's what we're doing to them. We're literally yeah. drowning them. Literally. literally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people use barbless hooks, which are better, mm-hmm. and the inside <laughs> of a mouth of a fish is very different than our mouth. So like I you, mean, there's pra- right there's best practices to, yeah. to to harm the fish as little as possible, and I think you know that like fly fishing, sure, yeah, fly fishing with sure. barbless hooks, yeah, you can most likely you can most of them are going to be fine, yeah, but a lot of them are not. It's a weird practice. I just don't, I don't to putting them back, yeah, yeah. Well, it just yeah. I'm I'm not a I'm not a catch and release fish, fisherman. I'm not even a huge fisherman. I love to eat it. I love to go to Alaska. Catch a buttload of fish, come home and eat it for the rest of the year. I need to go halibut fishing. Yes, you do. You haven't done that yet? No, yeah. no. I love yeah. halibut. I've gone fluke fishing. I've caught flounder before, which are little baby halibuts, but, and yeah. they're delicious. But halibut is supposed to be like one of the most delicious fish to catch and then cook like right away. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I, it's, um, it's one of those real fleshy white fish, kind of like grouper, you know, grouper. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, like chunks of halibut, deep fried, like like well coated and deep fried. It, it, the the thing about halibut, if you overcook it though, it's like chewing on a sock. It just right. gets tough real fast. And maybe that's true of, of other white flesh fish like that too. But no, it's delicious. It's not the most exciting to catch. Well, they're giant doors. It's yeah, like exactly. You a door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just like <laughs> hauling up this heavy ass. They're so alien thing. looking too. With two yeah. eyes on one side of their head, and they flatten out at the bottom of the ocean. You know that their eye migrates, right? Really? They start swimming up and down, eyes on each side, and then <clears throat> start a p- part of their uh, maturation process is they flip over. Well, as uh, they're getting older? Yeah, as they're getting older, and their eye literally slides onto the other side. Oh, so but yeah. it stays there once it's What's, on the it other stays, side? Yeah, it's, it's not like it <laughs> can't go back and forth. But yeah, it Whoa. stays there on that side. How fucking weird. They're so weird looking. It's, it looks wrong. Yeah. When you see two eyes on one side of their head, their body's flattened out and- it's full of so much good meat. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. It's like as heavy. You know, like my aunt and uncle live on Kodiak Island. We've been going up there since I was a kid. And I mean, it's, you know, it's that's as much meat as a deer, right? Yeah. You catch a 200-pound halibut, which isn't the most common. They can be way bigger than that, too. But. You're supposed to release the really big ones, though, right? Don't they say that? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, I, yeah. I'm not sure. A friend of mine caught one, and it was apparently enormous, and he was furious because the guide, they went fishing with the guide. The guide cut the line. Because oh, it was wow. so big. Do you think he just couldn't get it in the boat? No, no, no. He no. said, look, we got to let this go because it's a big breeder. Oh. 
and that these these big ones are responsible for keeping the populations healthy. And because this guy yeah. made a living off of fishing, he's like, it's our responsibility to cut this loose. And the guy was like, what are you talking about? He's like, this is cr-. like he didn't know that that was going to be an option. Yeah. And so he's pulling up this thing where, you know, he described it as like the side of a wall. Oh, yeah. It's like the wall of a room. It's like it's fucking huge. I don't know if it's true with Halbert, but I know other fish you know sometimes the big ones don't eat that well like that's they're just not true, as good to right. eat. so it may, might not have been it's not like he's gonna get that mounted i doubt right know, like a 400 pound they say that's true with elevator. deer too like i've never eaten a really old deer but they say old deer just do not taste that good it can be it i know i know they they can be worse for Didn't sure you shoot an old doe that was mo mo, was mo yeah. that's right yeah yeah yeah. And he said it was rough. I never had an issue it over a winter. <laughs> my, my little brother shot me a deer and gave it to me for Christmas, and it was the first slightly off tasting animal that I've tasted in man seven years. You know, and I've been eating a lot of animals. You know, over my course of time, um, you know, we're talking about meat eater, which I worked on for a long time. I don't anymore, but uh, I ate a lot of animals, and they all tasted exceptionally good. And my brother shot this one, and. Um, I don't know what it was. It was cold. He he killed it, um, and it got dark, and he had to track it in early the next morning. And it um, did he gut shot know. it? No. no, no, he hit it well. It it it, it died fairly close, um, but yeah, no, it was it was pretty gnarly. And I even hmm. made I made sausage out of it and tried to eat that, and that was hard to get down. Really, we have wow. a couple we have a couple pounds of it left still. It just wasn't good. Hmm. That's but, weird. Well, maybe yeah. it was a tarsal glands or something. Like, was it in the rut? No, it was muzzleloader season in in December in Minnesota, hmm. and uh, I Just don't know a what weird it was. Deer. I don't know what it was. I really don't. Yeah. Well, you hear stories, you know. I'll tell you what, man, that was one of the things that really got me into hunting, not with just the how cool that trip was and how amazing it was and how bizarre it is to be out there in total silence, no cell phone signal, you don't hear, not, we, what did we see, like maybe three people the whole week we were out there? Yeah, two boats, maybe, yeah. I don't even remember seeing them. I, I remember we, we saw a dude's tent, and he had, like, a little uh, wood stove. And I was like, Steve, we got to get a stove. <laughs> what the fuck is this? This guy's got a stove inside of his tent because yeah. he, he used to stay warm in his tent. We were freezing our dicks off. And then we saw another guy who uh, had a deer in his boat. He had shot up. Oh, yeah. Remember that guy? Yeah. That was a memorable meal, man. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. The food was so good. Once we did shoot that deer and we ate it that night, I was like, good Lord. It's still it's the best meat ever, and plus there's so much connected to it. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. just that it's like you went to a restaurant, you had a delicious meal. It's like no, you like you busted your ass for five days humping over mountains, yeah. finally put a stalk on a deer, shot the deer, killed it, dragged it back to camp, cut it up, butchered it, and then we ate it. And like, and then when Steve took that doe head and buried it underground mm-hmm. because uh, yeah. what is that Guthrie book, uh, Big Sky. Yeah. Right, it was in just the book. Big Sky? Yeah, yeah, I think it's. I think that's the name of it. I think that's the name of the book. Okay, right, that sounds right. And um, in that book, he talks about cooking a deer head under the ground. So in Steve wanted to try sack. it. Yeah, we soaked a burlap oh, sack God. in the river. It was incredible. No, it was really good. It was incredible. Yeah. It was like some sort of exotic smoked pork or something like that. Yeah, Bizarre. yeah, yeah. We ate everything, man. We ate the liver. We ate the heart. We we, we ate it all. It was amazing. Do you still have a freezer full of meat right now? Or are you sitting, I shot sitting an away? elk nice. in October, so yeah. And I, I had shot a deer in November, but I ate that deer pretty quick. Yeah, I had a dud of the season last year. And Did so you? this year, for the first time in a long time, I've been eating more 
you know, local pork and beef, and I'm just so sick of it, man. I can't it's wait. I can't wait until this fall again. And no, when are you going back home? Back home from here? Yeah, I'm going home um, a week from two weeks from yesterday. I have two commercial freezers in the back. I could hook you up. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna turn it down. No, I'm gonna get it back to you. How could you get it back? Um, let me think about it. I can okay. I can go buy a cooler or something. Go we'll buy fig- a small Yeti or something. Figure something out. Yeah. We'll get you some. I have yeah. one of those Yeti hoppers at home. I could give you that. That makes me really proud. That like. You know, I was there the first time you hunted. Now you're yeah. going to hook me up with meat. Hell yeah, man. That's, <laughs> awesome. that's good stuff. I live off it now. I don't buy meat anymore unless I go to a restaurant. It's yeah. very rare that I go to a store, like a butcher shop, and buy meat unless there's something I'm preparing. It's just not as good. It's just actually not as good. Beef well, or I, I find that it's... It's I'm, different. It tastes like a soft, lazy animal. It's yeah. weird. Like when you eat a steak like from a butcher shop, I mean, they taste good. They still taste good. But it tastes like like this soft, almost sick thing. Like there's a difference between grass fed beef, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I noticed like way back in the day when I first started uh, learning about grass fed beef. I'm like, well, what is the difference? And people explain to you, oh, there's a difference in the fatty acids, and what's what's healthier about it is these animals are not supposed to be eating grain, and when they yeah. eat grain, it's bad for their body, and that's why they're so fat. And the marbling is actually them being incredibly unhealthy. I'm like, huh. Okay, so I'm gonna try some grass fed meat. And it was so expensive, and mm-hmm. then it was a small, like they're smaller, like the steaks are small, and it's a darker meat. I'm like, hmm. And then I remember eating it, thinking, wow, this tastes really different. Yeah, it does. Like a grass fed steak tastes different than a grain fed steak. They look different when you lay them out side by side. Oh yeah. But then you take those, and then you put an elk steak next to it, and you go, okay. <laughs> That's the real meat, man. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to be eating. You're supposed to be eating that deep, dark, red meat that you, you eat it and you just want to run through a fucking wall. Oh, yeah. It's like it's got energy in it. Like it, it, fe- it makes your body feel different when you eat it. So what, is it, what do you think that is? What, is, is, that, is that a, a psychological thing? Do you think that it's actually biological in the meat? It is better? There's something in there more for you? Like, how, do you how do you make sense of that for yourself? I have uh, a terrible unscientific theory. My unscientific <laughs> theory is things that run fast are better for you. That's why fish is really good for you because it's hard to catch and they, okay. they, they swim fast. Yeah. Deer are great. They run fast. Rabbits are great. They run fast. Cows just sort of wander around. Yeah. You know, they're just meandering and slow. I like your theory, but it makes sense that we have more cows because it's yeah. just all right there. Corral right? those bitches. <laughs> well, you know, um, my buddy Adam lives in uh, Australia, Adam Greentree. And in Australia, they have wild cows where cows at one time were domestic, yeah. but they broke loose. And they've been for many, many, many generations living wild. And they're extremely dangerous. Yeah. Especially the bulls. Like, when you watch cowboys riding bulls, and you're like, wow, this is crazy. Look at that guy that's riding an animal. Bull. Yeah, that's a it's fucking a big, yeah. big, scary animal. But again, a domestic animal that is not fighting off predators. It's not, I mean, it's just, it doesn't want you to fuck with it. It's got these giant watermelon testicles, and they're just full of piss and vinegar. And that, we don't eat those. For people who don't know, when you buy meat from a cow you're buying meat from a steer and what a steer is is a bull they cut his balls off Mm -hmm. when he's young so his testosterone stops so his body's mushy and soft 
Yeah. But these bulls that Adam sees out in the, the bush in Australia are super aggressive and very dangerous. And one of his friends was torn apart by one, gored, like really Killed. badly. No, they lived, uh, he lived, but they had a med vacuum to safety. It tore his guts open. And, uh, you know, he was, I don't even think he was hunting it. I think like he was just in the wrong place, the wrong time. They see you and they just fucking charge. Yeah. I mean, it's the reason why they have those goddamn giant horns. Yeah. What's the saying that, uh, you cut you cut a, a male animal's balls off, and they s- stop thinking about ass and start thinking about grass. Right. So I mean, it's it's literal. You yeah. Know? They stop trying to get laid, and they just eat. They just keep so eating. Yeah. And they just the lack of testosterone makes them soft and mushy. Whereas um, Cam Haynes shot a water buffalo in Australia, and he said that he had one piece of meat in his mouth for half an hour. <laughs> trying to chew it down <laughs> while he was practicing archery. He goes, I'm not exaggerating. Chewed one piece of meat for a whole half hour. Yeah. Just chew, chew. What's it say about us, though, or, or as, as humans, though? I mean, you could easily make an analogy there between cows and, yeah. a, and a wild animal and us. I mean, nobody's more domesticated than us. No like, one. these things we domesticate, I think we are... You know, we're the domesticator somehow, but I think we're even more domesticators. Right. Like, we're- like if you could eat one of the Duck Dynasty guys, like, <laughs> oh, man, they would cook up good. They'd be so What's saying that they're more oh, oh, the mushy <laughs> and, you know, there would be so much flavoring and marbling. Plus, they probably eat a lot of sugar, so there's probably, like, a lot of, like, sweetness to the meat. Yeah. I'm not advocating well, this, Well, dep- it depends on what your tooth is, though. If you're used to eating wild animals and you ate one of the Duck Dynasty guys, it would taste like shit. That's true. Right. That's true. But if you eat McDonald's... And ring dings. <laughs> what's a ring, like what's this, a ring ding? Like one of those little hostess Cake. things, <laughs> those little chocolate-covered, cream-filled jammies. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to get one of those. I haven't had one of those. They're That's disgusting. Like, they look great. You're like, oh, I'm going to enjoy this. And then as soon as you eat it, you're like, what the fuck is wrong with me, man? Yeah. Um, I love just. I had some tacos. I got to town last night and uh, had to go to the first taqueria I saw. It was the best. We have legit Mexican oh food God. in LA. The Montana most does legit. not have Mexican no, food. Not really, right? No. Not such good Mexican food. But Colorado has some really good Mexican food. It does. It does. Yeah. It. It. The. The line of that I think stops at Colorado. Maybe Wyoming. I don't think has it. But north into Montana, you're you're in dead zone. Well, where you so, are is amazing, though. It's worth it. You could take a trip for Mexican food because where yeah. you are is like I feel like I mean I, sh- I, f- I almost feel like I shouldn't say this on the podcast because I don't want anybody moving to Bozeman. It's already it's so on perfect. all of the list. It's everybody. I mean, it's yeah. the cats out of the bag. It's not yeah. you're, not, you're, you're not spilling the beans here. I know, but yeah. I mean, it really is a special place. It's the people are so nice. Yeah, they're not dumb either it's not like uneducated no 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 it's actually that county has the highest uh, percentage of phds in america what bozeman really yeah look it up fact wow yeah it's a highly educated population but it's also not like boulder where they're like oh my god save the butterfly you know they're more rational about their approach to nature it's balanced yeah you can find some you know, you can find good yoga, you can find your woo-woo stuff, but there's also a rancher right next to you. It's really interestingly, like, diverse. N- neutral. Yeah. It is, yeah, it's diverse some ways. Not that, with, no. mostly white. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> you know, it's not like, diverse that m- way. Moving there from New York, and, and yeah. uh, that is my least favorite thing about about Montana. Yeah, it's, it's not just, a whole lot of flavor. No, no, no. <laughs> but there's so many good things about it, and the, the landscape, like what you get to see, 
when you're there. It's just stunning. And man. the access to the land is is the huge. It's a yeah. huge thing too. I mean, I'm in Bozeman from my house in. I don't know how many in five, four different directions, three different directions. You can be at a trail in fifteen minutes, yeah. and it's just and it's just endless. You know, you can get on a trail right side of right side, man. I can't talk <laughs> right outside of Bozeman, and you can go if you wanted to for days through the Yellowstone ecosystem south, yeah, and just keep going and keep going and keep going. I mean, it it connects you to I mean, real big wilderness, the kind yeah. the kind that you can. I mean, in Alaska, you find it even bigger, but I think in the lower 48, um, yeah, it's unparalleled, man. It's, yeah, in it's, the it's lower incredible. 48, is about, it's about as wild as it gets. And that leads me to what I wanted to bring up to you today, because I saw this today, where Trump is, is, is challenging some of the protection of certain national monuments and some public lands today. It was something that came out, like... I told you fuckers, I knew this was coming. There were so many people that were telling me that mm. Trump is going to protect our public lands because his son is a hunter. And like, listen, man, that guy worships money. Yeah. There, there's money to be made in delisting these public. Look at this. Trump order could roll back public land protections from three presidents. This is he's going to have a shitstorm on his hands, though, man. Play, play this I mean, so we could hear exactly what he says. Of America's natural resources. And I can tell you, the group that's in here right now, they're really doing the job. Right, Lisa? They're doing a good job? Uh, we're going to take care of Alaska, too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and they protect the ability of the people to access and utilize the land, which truly belongs to them and belongs to all of us. Secretary Ryan Zinke is doing an incredible job. And he never overlooks the details. He's a detailed person. Soon <laughs> after he was confirmed, we had a snowstorm, big one. And he was out there on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, shoveling the snow all by himself. And he's a strong guy. He did a good job. What the fuck he am I listening to? He did a very, to? very yeah. good job. He's so weird. In the first 100 days, we've taken historic action to eliminate wasteful regulations. They're being eliminated like nobody's ever seen before. There's never been anything like it. Sometimes I look at some of the things I'm signing, I say, maybe people won't like it, but I'm doing the right thing. What the hell? This is so weird that that's a president. Like the way he communicates. Did you see when he, he just pinned a purple heart? Jesus. <laughs> he just pinned a purple heart on, on a return vet. A guy lost his leg. It just happened the last couple of days. It's the most no. awkward and the weirdest. It is the weirdest single thing I've ever watched on a screen. His his body language and his uh, what he does, it's bizarre. He's an it's, odd it's, guy. It's really bizarre. Man. What does it say there in terms of like what the uh, actual rollbacks mean and what the, the issue is? Here, let's go large. In order which Trump signed the Interior Department could lead to the reshaping of 24 national monuments, including the Grand Canyon, Parashant National Monument, Grand Staircase, Escalante National Monument, and the Basin Range National Monument, as well as a host of Pacific Ocean monuments, including the World War II Valor and the Pacific National Monument. Though Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke cast the move as a way to include local voices in the decision to designate monuments, the review of the Antiquities Act, which was first signed by President Teddy Roosevelt in 1906, stands in stark relief to years of bipartisan work 
at conserving lands. Wow. The move comes after Western Republican lawmakers, including Utah Senator Orrin Hatch, complained that Obama overused the law to overprotect land. How the fuck do you overprotect land? You kind of protect it, but don't overprotect it, bro. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just weird. Committed I, th- I think the worry back. is the worry is going to be that this would be the beginning of a of a larger pattern. Yeah, it's right? a slippery slope. Yeah. yeah. Well, I what I wanted to I mean, what you know about, and what I think most people don't, when you talk about this, the, the vast majority of the people in this country live in these uh, communities and cities and towns, and you know, even small towns. They they don't understand how much of this land that we live in is just this incredible, yeah. bizarre uh, experiment in like the people having, the, the, the actual American people owning mm. this incredible swath of public land. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild. Like what you're talking about, like you can walk for days and days into that stuff. Yeah, I think they don't know that it exists necessarily. And I think even to me, more importantly, they don't understand the impact that that actually has on people and what it actually means to be able to be part of something like that. It's, it's a really deep, important thing. And I think that people just, you know, you get your postcard uh, tourists and, and you say, oh, I love the national forest. I love the national parks. And let's drive around and take pictures. And that's great. That's fine. There's a big industry there. It's very helpful to the economy. And, uh, but there's something way deeper, too, that, yeah. that brings a lot of people, um, and I would even say culturally, something really deep there that we shouldn't be fucking with. No. We just shouldn't be messing with it. Well, it's know? been there for 100 years, 110 years. It's, you know, Teddy The Roosevelt. conservation part yeah. of it. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, but right? the land itself has been there. Way longer. And right. that's, you know, sort of like the deep time part of that is what really interests me is because, you know, you step out into that in the right context and, and you're all of a sudden, you know, you're uh, you're playing with something way bigger and more powerful and more impactful by just being part of a landscape that's, yeah. you know. But you're right. Yeah, the, the conservation thing is, is present and real. And uh, the I grew up in Minnesota and North Dakota and my... My first wilderness trip was in the boundary waters of northern Minnesota. It's this million-acre wilderness of lakes that are interconnected by trails. And you can go out for weeks at a time and canoe across a lake and then carry your boat to the next lake. And there's campsites, and it's just paradise. It's where I fell in love with the idea of wilderness. Uh, It's actually where I fell in love with my first, the first lady that I fell in love with at the same time. I was on a church trip. Oh, no. Yeah. And, uh, but... You know, so what I, you know, what I'm saying as far as it's shaping people and its importance, I mean, that first trip into the wilderness changed my life. Like, and that's a, that's a pretty mild way of saying it. It, it, it shaped who I am all the way. Well, that gets us to what you're doing now because you, you stopped working for 0.0 and we talked about on the last podcast that you had done a lot of these wilderness therapy trips yeah. where you take like troubled kids that have lost their way and their parents don't know what the fuck to do and yeah. you would take them out into the woods and live with these kids for months. Yeah, for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy <laughs> yeah. to think about like that, but makes sense. Like just... The five days that I was out there, or six days or whatever, when I first went to Montana with you guys, changed the way I thought about wilderness. Because mm. I really had never been. I mean, I'd kind of been to, like, wooded areas. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But I, I maybe mean, I went to Yellowstone when I was a kid, but I didn't really remember it. It's a different thing, man. Totally. And then we went to Alaska, right? And that was, to, to me, that's another level of wilderness. I should have listened we... to you on that trip. You were like, fuck that place. We shouldn't go to that place. <laughs> sure. It was uncomfortable, but... Um, 
I'm glad we went though. Well, now. It, yeah, in retrospect, right? I mean, and I'm glad you went just because of the level of uh, how deep out we are. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, the, the the Missouri breaks in Montana. You're out there, but in in this spot in on in Southeast Alaska, we were really out there. Yeah. I mean, you can feel it in the air. Well, right? I thought about two once when I fell. Yeah. I fell off of this like six foot drop. I slipped and just f- and luckily I just yeah. landed good. But I was like, man, you could fuck yourself up up here yeah. and not be able to get out of here. Uh-huh. Like, especially if you do a solo trip. Oh, yeah, man. No bueno. No, totally. Yeah. yeah. I'm addicted to that, that feeling. Yeah. That sort of immense, kind of, it takes you over. You are so tiny. You are not, you know, you're not in charge anymore. It doesn't and, care uh, about you. No. That's the thing. Like, the yeah. thing about, like, Prince of Wales is this solitude, this sadness that's beautiful. It's really weird. It's a weird feeling that you get where you just yeah. like it. There's no denying your lack of significance in this particular environment. It doesn't give a fuck about your credit cards. <laughs> no. It doesn't care about your no. cell phone. It doesn't care who you know or where you live or what kind of car you It doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. It's just tooth and fang and claw and rain and constant rain yeah. and beauty. Just unbelievable beauty, like the like when the that sun place is does a roller out. coaster. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean you're just in hell, and all, all of a sudden you're on the top of a ridge, and, and the and the and the sun peeks out, and a rainbow pops up, and the, like the Technicolor hyper vivid, just like crazy green. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know what's a <clears throat> sorry about that. I have cold. Uh, that place has a personality. Yeah, right. But being in wilderness, I've been in wilderness spots all over the globe it's what's so fascinating to me is how they all have a different vibe they'll have a different like life and and it it is it's it's like uh i mean sure it looks different but there's a like a felt sense or a feeling you get from place like the brooks range in alaska is the the northernmost range of mountains and it runs east and west and then above it is the arctic um, the arctic plain and then the arctic ocean there is something about being up there and especially i think in the summer when when the sun doesn't really go down it is. It is. It feels like being on a different planet. But oh man, I don't know if I have the words to describe it. But yeah, man. I mean, uh, and that's what I said. I'm addicted to. I'm. I am. And I. You know, I moved to Montana for professional reasons, but then also because it's where I wanted to live. And so I get out hiking all the time. You know, I train. I hike with. That's kind of how I stay fit. Um, but I come. I need to figure this out because I come home. From that feeling like I just like got started, you know, I missed the deep immersion mm. of the woods. Or, like the working real when you were working for meat eater and constantly on yeah. those trips, or yeah. yeah, any time that I spent over. I think there's something that happens after, you know, depending on how long. Like the longest I've stayed out at a time is forty uh, some days, um, but there's something that happens. I don't know, a day, two days, three days, five days in, where you really just kind of let go of the regular. You know, I, I don't know. I, th- I think it's actually physiological, some of it, but whatever. It could be just psychological too. But something shifts, you know, when you do a real expedition, when you do a real thing where you're not, your brain's not half stuck back in all the other stuff. And mm. uh, so, yeah, I go hiking and I love it, you know, all the time and we get out in the woods, but it just doesn't really do it for me. I, f- I feel kind of unfulfilled. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. So you you just got so addicted to being out there completely disconnected that you when you go on the hike you know you could always just make it back to town a couple hours oh yeah it's just like a little i'm trying to think of like an an analogy but it would be like uh, a little taste yeah it would be like maybe um like a five minute 
porn session versus a week long like love making <laughs> session that of your dreams, right? Just like a little, uh, yeah, a little teaser. Just not as fun. Do you do you plan on staying there? Is that? I think so. Yeah. I mean, we think about. We definitely won't move back east. We would either move somewhere out here or stay there. It gets cold as fuck in the winter, though, right? It does. Yeah, not not that cold, actually. No? Like, not compared to where I grew up. In Minnesota, it gets really cold for a long time. Yeah. And Montana, where we're at, used to do that, but... Um, Global warming. Something. Yeah. Something. It's different. This year was pretty mild. The year before was really, really mild. You know, like 35 average temperature. Really? That's yeah. it? Yeah. It's not that bad. Oh, I thought it was like 35 below. No, you go northern Montana, uh, up in the High Line area, it'll start to, you know, more of a deep freeze, a lot more wind. Bozeman's kind of a nice little protected. We should stop talking about Bozeman so people, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're going to yeah. get people into it. It's, um, well, just another fact on that. It is the I think the third fastest growing county in the in the states right now. Wow! So, well, it makes sense. When I was there, we went there. We took the family there last summer. I was like, this place is magic. It's so pretty. I got a couple other spots though that I'm saving. For oh yeah, myself. don't yeah. tell anybody. No, I'm not gonna. Um, when you were in the Brooks Range, did you put uh, like uh, masks on to go to sleep? Those you know those sleeping masks. They say I that that's a t-shirt. the move. A t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. I just use a t-shirt. Just cover your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, they say you have to because if you just try to like sleep, you'll wake up a couple hours later and be all bewildered. Oh yeah, no, it's weird. It's weird. It's it's one. It's cool. It's a very it's a perception changing thing to go up there and watch the sun literally just kind of like you know kiss the horizon and then just keep going. And, yeah, I went to Anchorage a couple of years ago in the summer. We were there in July. Me and my friend Ari went fishing up there. We did some shows up there. And uh, it was weird. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. It was light out. And we're like, what in the fuck is this like? Hmm. And the people are cool as shit. That's another place. There's yeah. something about like those people, like Alaska even more extreme. Because something about those people that they deal with nature in a way that everybody else just doesn't. Oh, yeah. Well, they have, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Weather, weather's gnarly. I mean, you can't walk out to your house for more than 10 miles before you have a you know, giant massive in front of you. The yeah. big peak, the ocean's right there. Yeah. 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 I mean, Anchorage is a, it's a weird place too. I love it's, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting too, because you think of it as like a bunch of like lumberjacks and fishermen and weirdos and like people trying to run from the law or something like that. And you get there and there's like hunk free quality. There's a bunch of people with gay rights signs and people beeping their horns as they drove by. I'm like, Oh, this is not what you think it is. No craft breweries and yeah. really good restaurants. I'm like, Oh, okay. This is, it's not, it's not like Hicks. I feel like it has a little bit of flavor of the Pacific Northwest of Seattle and Portland, mm-hmm. but and then a, a big dose of weird. Too. Yeah, a lot, of weird, a lot of weird, a lot of extreme. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these are these are people that are they're that's this is where they're going to live and die. Yeah, and you know, there's grizzly bears everywhere. A lot of Minnesotans and, and folks from where I grew up, there's there's a big connection. A lot of people move up to have moved up to Alaska. So, I like I said, I grew up going up there fairly regularly in the summer. Who did you say lives that you know that lives on my Kodiak da- Island? My dad's sister oh. and her family. That's a scary place. Those bears are fucking giant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. Aren't they the biggest brown bears in the world? Uh, they might be. I think I've heard that the Kamchatka brown bears in Siberia, in, in Russia, across, I don't know if that is Siberia, but up across the, the water there, um, they might be bigger. I could be totally wrong about that. <sighs> but, I yeah. saw um, this video of this guy. Uh, the, you remember that show that was on? Uh, it was called The Hunt. 
It was um, a show that it, it was interesting because um, James Hatfield of Metallica was the narrator of it. Right. And people were so angry at him for narrating this thing that they were uh, talking about boycotting Metallica when they played some music festival. I never watched it. I remember you talking about it, and then, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And it was about uh, bear hunting, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was about brown bear hunting, which is a really controversial form of hunting because you don't really eat those things. I mean, you kind of can, yeah. but they taste like shit. Well, the coastal ones. Do yeah. Especially. They're just eating rotten fish all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, animals taste like what, what they eat, which is really... Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, but it seems pretty counterintuitive. You know? I dare Trump to try to take away some of those Alaskan wilderness areas, man. I mean, <sighs> the, I weird, just... the real worry is that he's going to let people drill in them and they're going to destroy something. Yeah. I mean, that's the real worry. The yeah. real worry is the reason why he's releasing or relaxing some of these regulations is that he wants to let industry get in there. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they start fracking and polluting wells and rivers and it's just... It's fucking dangerous, man. It's just not. It's something that if they do fuck it up, it could be fucked up for a hundred generations. Yeah. And do you ever live in New York City? Not in the city. I used to live yeah. in New Rochelle, which is uh, right outside the Bronx. I lived there for seven years or so. And uh, if there if there wasn't the existence of Central Park, and I lived in Brooklyn, so Prospect Park, if those two green places didn't exist while I lived there. I would have probably lost my mind or just moved, right? I feel like these big areas of wilderness we have, you know, as we, we will not be okay as, as humans. Mm. I mean, like individually, sure. It, is it going to, here's my worry. My worry is that, um, you know, the general American public or, or the general public doesn't have enough connection or real life experience to know why to care so much. And, right. you know, that's a big deal. And it's, um, I don't know, there's a lot of different angles you could take on that. There's, the, there's so much, but there's just something that, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I mean, if it really gets intense, I'm going to have to basically drop what I'm doing and do everything I can to, to stop them from, from harming these places. I don't know what okay. could be done. My, my yeah. real concern is not just this, what's going on now, but the future. And then also when you really consider it overpopulation, I mean, there's seven and a half billion people on the planet now in the most recent census. Yeah. This is a, that's a half a billion increase over the last, I don't know how many years, but it hasn't been that many. It was six billion just a few years ago. I mm. remember that was a number that they bandied about like a decade or two ago. Yeah. Now it's seven and a half. Like, what happens when it gets to be 30? Like, where are we going to put these motherfuckers? What is the carrying capacity? There must the be planet? a number, yeah. It's weird. We're like rats on a sinking ship. Yeah. We're just scrambling everywhere. We're everywhere. We're Something's like, going to happen. There's not another animal like us. When we're on every fucking patch of land you can find. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> but we're awesome. Except these wilderness spots, right? Look at this. Those this are the is the current world population. <clears throat> oh my God. Is that real? How do they know that? Births today. It's based off averages. Look at the births today. You can watch the the numbers just roll in. Oh, my God. The difference between the births today and the deaths today. That's incredible. That's why it's moving so fast. People are dying slow as fuck. Population growth today. So the the average, 139,000 people today. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) 44 million this year. Oh, my God. It's weird. But uh, that's scary. And what's the U.S., 400 million? 
I think we're Something 300 like plus Mexicans. <laughs> 326, it says. See, but that's, they're not counting. They're not counting all the people that snuck in. I just don't think they know. Like when, when they say Los Angeles, yeah. when they say Los Angeles, 20 million, I'm like, okay, and what about the Mexicans? Yeah. Like, because there's a lot of fuck. And I'm not anti-Mexican in any way, shape, or form, ladies and gentlemen. Don't, I'm just looking at this pragmatically. Yeah. There's a fucking shitload of illegal aliens here, which I support. Also, how many people are here at any given time that don't live here, but are here on vacation or working here for like a week? That's a good question. Yeah. Just added people for- Hundreds of thousands, I would imagine. Yeah, probably. Yeah. When you get on the 405 and you head to San Diego and it takes you six hours and you go, what is this? (laughs) Like, what have we done? This mass of humans. Yeah. There's so many of us. But when you get here and you realize, oh, you, you guys don't have any weather- that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. But you could also, you know, go 30 miles outside of the city and have that same weather, couldn't you? Yeah, pretty much. Not the people. Yeah. But, you know, you don't get the same taco stands. Right. Yeah. I get it. I like, I love cities, man. I miss it. I miss living in New York City. I really do. Do you? Um, I wouldn't trade it at this point. You know, I was younger and single in New York, had a, had a fun time and, and moved to Montana, have a family now. It's kind of perfect for, for uh, where I'm at in my life, so... I don't really need anything else. Yeah, point. that's the balance, right? It's like there is no really perfect place. It's like there's places that are perfect for certain things. Like if you're a comedian, Los Angeles is the yeah. best place. It's either Los Angeles or New York. I prefer Los Angeles. There's a lot of clubs. There's a lot of comedians. Like the, most of the best comedians in the world live here. It's a great place for us to network and we work together and stuff like that. And if you if you want to be in that business, this is probably the best place in the world to do it. So that's one of the reasons it keeps me around here. Plus the podcast and all that jazz. But for peace of mind, it's not the best place. No. Does that actually fuck with you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the numbers of humans is just, it's untenable. And you're close to North Korea. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But if you know what, man, if they nuke California, where are you going to go? You know, I mean, the whole yeah. thing's going to be a mess. Yeah. You might, might as well, you might be better off if it lands on your head. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always say about asteroids. Like, you don't want to be that guy in the movie that, like, is, like, storing food in his basement and uh, staying up all night to shoot vandals because people are trying to steal your canned goods. That doesn't sound fun. Not like a healthy no. life. No. You don't want to live like that. And then what happens? You die of old age? You die of old age protecting your canned goods? Yeah, in fight or flight your entire life. Fuck that. Freaked out. Fuck that. No. Just let that rock land right on your fucking head. Boom. I used to stress out a lot about where the perfect place to live was. I, I just gave that up. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. There's, there's places you don't want to be caught dead. Like? Florida. <laughs> I like Florida. How dare you? I like it. I what do. part? Sarasota? My, no, my wife was uh, raised on Captiva Island, which is on the southwest oh, coast. Okay, like Key West is pretty dope. Yeah, down there. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's it's a good place yeah. if you just want to drink and take naps. Or fish. Or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's some cool stuff down there. But it's just, Florida's just so fucked up. It's they've they've done such damage to Florida with their oxycontin regulations. Mm. You know, at one time there were more oxycontin prescriptions in Florida than they were the entire country combined. Seriously? Yes, I didn't know that. It was insane. How, is this recent? As as like recent in these in these late opioid yeah. struggles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a documentary that they did on it called the OxyContin Express that was on Vanguard. Wow! And um, these people 
that um, went down there, they went undercover and uh, saw how easy it is to buy opiates down there. Yeah. They, would, they have these one-stop shops. They have these pain management centers where you'd go in. He'd say, hey, doc, my back is killing me. The doc said, you need some pills. Go right next door. So he'd write your prescription. You go right next door. You get the pills, and then, boom, you're off to the races. Wow. And they didn't have a database which meant that you could go to Dr. Mm. Jamie and you say, Dr. Jamie, my back's killing me. Dr. Jamie gives you a prescription. You buy some opium pills or whatever the fuck they are. And then you come to me and you go, Dr. Joe, my back is killing me. I'm like, oh, you So were they just being sourced there and mm-hmm. then sold elsewhere? Or did, were they, they purposely made their regulations lax there uh, so they could make more money. So people were buying them and then bringing them and selling them in Kentucky and up to Ohio. And that's why they call it the Oxycontin Express. The highway that led from Florida to the rest of the country. That sounds evil. Yeah, it was sick. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people lost their lives and a lot of people lost, like, who they were because of the addiction. Wow. Yeah, the, the numbers were insane. Like, Google the numbers. Like, what, what were the numbers of Oxycontins or Oxycodone? I still don't know what the difference is. Have you seen the re- the reports lately showing that the uh, the life expectancy or the early death rate of middle-aged white men specifically lately it has dropped for the first time in i don't know dozens or because of pain pills yeah well part of it they're calling them deaths of of uh, despair how they're being jesus written about is literally deaths of despair it's it's yeah jesus no it's heavy it's real heavy that's a heavy there's been a spate of articles over the last three or four um months just that's really diving into and it's guys it's men here it is. Men Doctors in Florida prescribe 10 times more oxycodone pills than every other state in the country combined. <laughs> wow. And this is now, right? What is this article from? Uh, this was actually from 2011 on NPR, when the, probably when it came out. Ah, there we go. Uh, I can get the updated one. Nah, doesn't matter. It's just, it's a crazy place. Let's just put it that way. Despair is one of the scariest words. Right? Despair. Yeah. When you hear about someone like... Despair and lonely. Those are two like really. So that's the other word that they're using is, is, is loneliness has been, they're now measuring it and loneliness is, is as or worse of a health issue in our country than smoking, heavily smoking. There, there's all this, there's this new loneliness is loneliness is, isn't overpopulation coincided with loneliness. Think about that. We're we're thrust further and further closer together and we don't know each other. And we're more and more uh, disconnected and lonely. Yeah. And it's literally, so there's a whole new, um, I don't know how new, but it's called interpersonal neurobiology, which is the science of our brain wiring and, and phys- physiological wiring on how we're, um, yeah, this is one of the articles. Loneliness might be a bigger health risk than smoking or obesity. Whoa, that's dark, dude. It's dark, but you know, with the, in my life the experience i've had in my life i'm when i read that i'm like of course duh yeah duh. it makes sense yeah we are a disconnected people we are electronically digitally connected in a crazy way but in a human way and it, it's killing it literally is is harming awesome people are dying and it's crazy it's that crazy so stuff fascinating yeah. that like feelings have an effect on your health like the feeling of loneliness the feeling of despair it's not like you could eat your vegetables you can get your exercise in and you if you feel despair and you feel loneliness your body is actually like being harmed by that but there's a real like practical reason for that and that's because we are when we come out as babies we are the most dependent 
individuals. So like our, you know what I mean? Like on your parents, on your mother, we, we are completely socially dependent when we're born, completely. And so, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you ever heard Mm -hmm, of that? So it's like, you know, to be okay, you have to take care of breathing and water and your basic functions. But there's, there's been um, studies recently by these neurobiologists that are showing that these social needs are just as, or even uh, like come before some of these physical needs. There's, There's, it's, it's crazy, man. And there's literally, um, there's a book called social by a guy named Matthew Lieberman. Like you gotta check it out. And so what they are finding is that there's like two uh, parts of our operating brain, and this is, you know, going to be me uh, paring it down. But one is the analytical thinking, deciding thing, and the other is this social awareness brain, which is always like always checking in on how am I in relation to others, and it's also the part of the brain that actually we can, you know, like the metacognitive part and the part that I can. They call it mind reading, but really, it's just it's just. By us sitting here, I can kind of get a sense of how you feel and what you're thinking, right? right. Just by the the connection that we have and just it's it's part of who we are. So when our analytical brain is offline, this other one, the social one, pops on immediately. So so what they're theorizing is that that is like the fundamental need for humans in safety and survival is how are we uh, relating to each other as a as a group. But it makes sense if you look, I mean, to me, it makes sense in, um, you know, we are social animals. We forget that, I think. But you look at other species of monkeys or wolves or whatever. I mean, you know, there might be a period of time where, say, a a wolf will will get kicked out of a pack for a while and he'll go do his thing, but eventually come back to a pack. It's not safe for us as humans and animals, social animals like these to be isolated. It's, it's not. And, and so there's all these parts of us that just, if we're not connected to other people in a, in a very direct and true way, there's these sort of uh, deep down emotional and physiological uh, fears that come up, right? And, they, and they're, they're real. And that's what the neurobiology is showing, which is really in- interesting. I mean, we can just think about that, but they're actually showing it now that if we're not really connected to each other, we're going to be freaked out. We're not going to be okay. And, um, you know, I really believe that this really drives a lot of the internal struggle we have. And we're really, and this is part of, you know, getting into it. That's part of my, what I'm trying to bring into the world and my platform now is, is just to, you know, stand up and say, Hey, we need each other and we can do it. It's not, and for guys specifically, right. It's such a Mm. social stigma of ours to not be, real or open or connected or vulnerable with guys. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's cool to see the science coming out because it's, I have all this anecdotal evidence of being out the wood in the woods with kids or being in a, in a men's group with guys or running a retreat or whatever this is of how powerful it is to like set down all of our differences and just be there with others. Yeah. But now the science is, is really lighting it up and, yeah, man. Loneliness. I mean, we can all think about it. Loneliness isn't fun. It's not, uh, it doesn't feel good. But the other, this is crazy too, that they're showing that emotional pain lights up the same centers of our brain as physical pain. And that one study showed that um, an insult to someone had much more painful and long-term effects than slamming somebody with a hammer, hitting their hand with a hammer. So like our emotional pain literally actually exists in the body like it is actual pain and the reason that 
it's so uncomfortable to feel our emotions, which it is, you know, I mean, I'll just say it is, is that it actually hurts, like actually hurts. I mean, and there's like, people say things like you broke my heart or I'm dying of heartache or whatever, but the, the science is catching up and showing us that this pain is actual, it's real, and we're not addressing it. We're not even aware of it. It's really interesting. Whoa, that's yeah. deep. You know, it's interesting, too, because what, what you're saying about us being disconnected and how unhealthy it is and how unhealthy loneliness is, it sort of confirms these ideas that I've always had that the human race itself is not like a group of individuals, but a super organism, much like the human body is. Like the human body like, requires all the bacteria in your gut, all the skin flora, all the different things that compose the actual physical structure of the human body, whereas we think of it. I think there's some nutty number of how much bacteria, how many bacteria cells are in your body versus how many human cells. Right. Isn't that and crazy? it far outnumbers yeah. the human cells. Yeah. And it's just that we think of ourselves as I'm Mike and I put my shoes on and I go to work because I am Mike. And right. But Mike, you're a system. You're a system of individual organisms that are collectively keeping this whole thing alive. And when the imbalance is off, like... When someone takes an antibiotic and it fucks up their gut flora, like literally you've like nuked a part of your civilization. Yeah, right. And, you know, to try to save something, like if you had some sort of a surgery and you're worried about an infection, which is kind of like an invading army coming in and taking yeah. over part of your leg that you haven't operated on. Like, yeah, or it would be like slashing the tires of all of our transport system in the country. Like that's right. our gut. That's like yeah. what delivers things in, in and out, right? Yeah, and even has yeah. an impact on your, your health mentally oh, yeah. in terms of like how you feel and yeah. your you know depression a lot of that is connected like legitimately connected to your diet yeah. and how that affects your gut flora and it affects the way your body produces serotonin and dopamine and it's bananas man oh yeah no i Here get it, it. Is. <clears throat> scientists bust the myth that our bodies have more bacteria than human cells decades old assumption about microbiota revisited okay what's the new it's what's the new data one to one instead of 10 oh to one, it so says. it's wow. you are as much okay so they used to say it was 10 to one but now it's one to one okay wow that's still crazy man it's still like you're half bacteria yeah I like that analogy, though, of the body as, as like a civilization or whatever. Yeah. I mean, th think about if you're one of your, I don't know, one important neuron, one cell, neural cell or something, decided just to go rogue and not be in connection with the rest of you, right? I mean, right. I don't, that wouldn't work so well, right? I don't, no. I, don't, I don't know what would happen. Your body would probably get rid of it and get it out of there. Or, I don't know, maybe, uh, so I'm just really reaching here, but it's some sort of rogue cell at that point right like yeah. a cancerous cell or something it would probably be attacked so yeah if you i think that if you take that analogy you know our civilization here is we're hurting mm. we're really hurting because we're, we're really not you know we are working together obviously in practical ways a lot of times you know work and commerce and you know the world is functioning but i think on a like a health and fulfillment level we're, we're missing something pretty deeply yeah. yeah. Well, also, like, let's talk about people that are disconnected from actual humans, but connected to them in a cyber way. Yeah. Like, how many people are, like, really lonely in terms of, like, physical touch and communication with friends, and yeah. but they sit in front of their computer all day and they interact with people online, which shows you, like, some of the most unhealthy communities you'll ever encounter are, like, online message boards and forums where yeah. people are just anonymous and 
interacting with people without what we were talking about earlier. Like one of the reasons why I like to do podcasts with a person in the room, I've only done one podcast ever Mm -hmm. through Skype. Um, And that was with John Anthony West Mm -hmm. because he was living in New York and He's this really important Egyptologist, and I really wanted to talk to him. It was the only way I could get him to do it was to do it through Skype. So yeah. I did one. I prefer to sit there with people because I want to look at them. I want to feel their energy. I want to. I feel like you and I doing this conversation, you get to understand each other. Totally. No, yeah. I get it, and I, and I think I can hear it in your podcast too. And I think that uh, you know. And again, I, I'm not going to keep hitting the, the biology part, but there's uh, to me, I think that there it means I can sense that there's a. Something else in me is getting is triggered, right? If we were yeah. just talking on the phone, there is something, um, and it might be this other part of your brain, but it's lit up right now, right? right. Because I can I can spatially, you know, see and feel where you are. We right. can, we can uh, you know, have Social eye contact cues. and all yeah. of that. All of that. Yeah, and it's it's that sense of connection. It's that real. Um, I think, and I think that is you know really apparent in your podcast is that you yeah you sit here and you really connect to somebody and just run with it and i think that's uh it's a big it's a big thing man i mean i mean I, th- I think of like um so part part of what i do is is i help um proliferate this idea of men's groups across the country where guys get together for exactly what we're talking about it's just like you know the the intent of them is to um get together to challenge and support each other's growth or personal growth you know and it's just a simple sort of protocol and a simple sort of um, uh, design or, or sort of it's there's a structure to it, but the whole point is it's remedial in a sense. It's that you know our culture in general, but guys especially in our culture don't have um, this this unfettered place to really show up and actually connect with each other. And right. it's a scary thing. I mean, it's a it's it's um, you know it's until now and, and still now, but hopefully not too long. I really like that stigma of not being connected is um, it's a big deal. And, and I think that back to the cyber thing that you're saying, like we can we can get that hit of serotonin by getting a like on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Right. We can get that. But that pale. I mean, I don't even want to make a comparison toward mm-hmm. actually sitting sitting down with somebody and actually feeling and and experiencing them. Yeah. It's you can't make a comparison. No, it's not okay to me. It's not, I don't. Yeah, it's just it's, so I'm different. A, I'm in a tricky position because I, I rely on social media to let people know that I have a podcast coming out. You know, like right before the podcast, I was like, yeah. "What's your Twitter?" So I could tweet it. Yeah, and then I also like to promote comedy dates and to let people know about cool shit that I find. Yeah. But the the interaction is so it's so weird like especially there's like a bunch of different kinds of interaction like instagram is one of the weird ones because the cuntiest people all have blocked pages oh yeah it's like they're blocking yeah. don't look at me <clears throat> and they just say nasty shit to people but they have these blocked pages it's right. like but i think that that's it's so funny how that seems to be like it's so common but it makes sense. It's like they're blocked off yeah. and they're attacking people and saying shitty things to people. And I'm not even talking about to me. I'm talking about like when I go to someone else's page and I read cunty things, I always go to that. I go, well, let's see if that guy's blocked. Yep, he's blocked. How funny. Like it's super common. It's like yeah. this weird thing that people are doing with each other where it's not real interaction. And I feel like the people that are perpetrating it are extremely unhealthy, which is why they're saying such nasty, vicious shit in the first place. 
It's really, really odd. They're lonely. Yeah. No, I mean, or in know. some way, or disconnected, yeah. or disenfranchised, or they feel inferior. Yeah. And so they lash out and they want other people to feel the way they feel. And so, one, uh, what I feel when you say that, like, one thing that's missing there is empathy. Yeah. In, in that, in that interact, whatever that interaction is. Yeah. It's this removed story that you're making up some some like whatever you want the world to, you know you're yeah. projecting your shit out into the world you're not actually slowing down enough to you know yeah. you, can, you can sit here and give opinions or whatever all day long but you, you know the no but to what you said though it is a weird position but i think the way that things are going so we we are using these tools the social media to connect us and to get messages out but you know the way that the like the millennial generation is going is that what they value and what they want to spend their money on is meaningful experiences, which means, you know, generally speaking, a live in-person event. And I th- there is a wave of things going back to this. So, you know, as a tool, we need that. I mean, this is amazing. You know, this, this platform, this podcast you have that touching so many people or just Twitter, whatever it is. But then it can be, you know, used for incredible good to bring people together, I think. And then, and then, so what's missing in that, in that social media interaction? Uh, I don't know, maybe it balances out. Maybe it doesn't. I, I don't really know. But. It's a message in a bottle. You just got to make yeah. sure it's a good message. Yeah. You know, you're not going to, you're not, you have to like be cognizantly aware, I think, of how other people are going to receive it without actually getting that reception mm-hmm. back from them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and that's where it gets real weird. And you have to like, I think, apply the same principles that you would in communicating with other people like without actually communicating with them, without yeah. seeing them without getting the social cues without looking them in the eye and we're we're a weird thing man so this might not make sense but I, i'm going to bring it back to connect to the wilderness stuff what we're talking about in this sense of this sort of isolation and loneliness that we have and for me in my life where I learned to connect with others, where I really learned to sort of give it up, let go, be present with people was in the wilderness. It was, it was doing that job out in the desert with kids Mm. out there for eight to 20 days at a time with these kids where that was my job. It was my job to simply be with them and in a way uh, to be with them in a way that was, um, you know, obviously we had a lot of boundaries and everything, but to be really real, just to be totally real and mm. honest and straightforward, call bullshit when we saw bullshit, be empathetic. And it was just like this crazy crash course in human connection. And it yeah. happened to be out in the wilderness. But so what I think, I don't know, this is, this is, a, it'll tie together. But for me, I started to feel way, way, way more human being out there in the wilderness, like just being out there where it was quiet being out there where like, you know, if I sat on a rock, I was sitting on a rock and the sun was on me and all of my senses were engaged, you know, very aware of my body. We were in these groups where we were being practicing, being very aware of what we felt and being able to feel and express that. And it just felt like, um, you know, since then for me, it all comes back to, to being out in the wilderness. But since then, all the other things I've engaged in meditation, the men's group stuff, all the other person, even uh, psychedelics, things like that, all the things that I've experienced, all for me tie back to that thing. And it it comes down to what I feel is like being totally, as much as you can, truly present. Yeah. Like just, just here, right? Right. And, and you can write a Twitter message from that place of being present, right? That's fine. I mean, there's, there's nothing necessarily wrong or bad about that. 
but um, but don't check the responses every three minutes for the next six hours <laughs> <laughs> like a fucking maniac. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a matter of I guess rationing rationing some of the some of that social media stuff or rationing some of that online interaction with other people. I feel like as time has gone on, I've I've gotten much more of my online interaction in like an educational form uh-huh. in terms of like interesting articles, right. science things, things that don't involve like social interaction or opinion as much as they involve really fascinating facts. Yeah. Like um Something that I found today, they think that North America might have been settled by humans as much as 100,000 years earlier than they thought. I saw that. You see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It's insane. Like, that kind of shit freaks me out. Yeah. I, I love that kind of stuff. Because that, that kind of stuff is just pure curiosity and pure wonder. And, and, and the imagination goes wild thinking about what it must have been like to be one of these early humans yeah. surviving or trying to survive. And if they didn't, we wouldn't be here. And these these uh, Macedon fossils, they found them. The bones were shattered and there's rocks nearby that do not seem like they were brought anywhere. So it was 1992. They were doing highway construction near San Diego. <laughs> and they found these odd-looking bones and then they started doing these... Um, uh, studies on them and then they found their mastodon bones and they didn't have the ability to do carbon testing and get a real accurate assessment back then so, but now they do and so now when they're checking these bones and the way these bones had been shattered they're pretty sure that they had been shattered purposely like, to get to the marrow wow yeah so that yeah that's a great example of uh, a positive benefit yesterday <clears throat> i uh I meditated for about 80 minutes or so, and then I and I, I sat up afterwards, and I clicked on my phone and opened Facebook, and the first thing I clicked on was a, uh, was a video of a woman in slow motion who stuck her ass out the window of a bus and just shat this stream of <laughs> shit. <laughs> and I just, I just la- I had to laugh to myself, man. I was just like in this zone, you know? I was in this beautiful place, oh. and then open and watch. I was, I was like, oh, my God. It reminded me of Callan's one joke, the shitting out of the car at 80 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube video. I think, yeah, yeah I've, I've definitely seen too many of those videos. I've seen too many videos of people getting beat up, too. Too many pe- videos of street fights. Too many videos of people, like, skateboard accidents where they f- fucking flip and fall on their head. It's hard to not watch that, yeah, though, right? Yeah, very, I, hard, yeah. very hard. Yeah. <laughs> very hard. <laughs> it's very hard. I mean, I feel like there's something to be learned in those videos. Like, I almost want to show my kids, hey, don't try to do flips. If you don't know what you're doing, you're landing on <laughs> your fucking head. But, you know, I mean, understanding the consequences and having someone else do it so you can learn from them. They've already done it. So here, learn. This, yeah. is, what, this is why you don't fuck with a tiger. See? Look, the guy got killed by the tiger. Now yeah. you know. Yeah. This is why you don't do this. This is why you don't do that. Like, there's got to be some educational value in those, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. That but seems also, like a reach a little bit. It's a little, a little bit of a reach. reach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have some pretty strong instincts in us to, to, that say don't fuck with it. I know, but right? dumb kids, man. It's like yeah. it's almost like dumb kids are there as educational tools for the survivors. It's like you're supposed <laughs> yeah. to see that one kid poke the tiger and get mauled. And you're like, shit, I can't believe he actually broke into the zoo. Now Bobby's gone. Yeah. You know, like Bobby, like, I mean, that's the Joseph Campbell 
uh, story of the hero that it goes all the way back to the one person who sacrificed their life yeah. and got killed by the predator in front of the tribe and, mm-hmm. and so that the tribe could survive and that they, they worship that person for doing that. Yeah, yeah. The the hero goes off, learns yeah. a lesson, brings it back to the community, and everybody's better for it. That's, yeah, or you watch yeah. the hero get mauled, <laughs> well, and he's a martyr, and then you escape while the hyenas are eating him. One of the things we taught or we worked with kids out in the woods was uh, we called it natural consequences, right? Which which just means that when you do something, something else happens. There is a natural reaction. And it was used a lot of times um, in uh, opposition or instead of, of like a, a penalty system, right? So if you do something bad, we could we could lay this punishment on top of you. Like what kind of stuff? I mean, oh, well, so for example, if... Um, if somebody was going to harm themselves or somebody else, you got tarped. You tarped. Yeah, you got. The, you, you, we put out a tarp and uh, your shoes, and everything would be taken away from you, and, and you couldn't leave the tarp. Like that—that that was where you had to stay because you couldn't hurt yourself, or you couldn't hurt anybody else. Wow. Um. So that was, you know, and some of what that. What did you do with their shoes? Ate them? No. <laughs> where'd, you, where'd you put them? In your tent or under your tarp? Or what, and so they whatever, had to stay like under a tarp. Is that the idea, or? Uh, if it was raining, yeah, but no. I mean, otherwise, it's just it was just basically a timeout. You know, oh, okay. Essence. You know, you got to stay here. You can't interact with the group. You're by yourself. Whatever. Uh, that's actually not the best example, but I'll just use. So, if you swore, you could. Some programs would, you know, maybe have a point system. You get penalized ten for curse points words. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that wasn't that seems a little silly. Yeah, it wasn't really upheld. I'm, I'm reaching for a good example here. I, what I'm trying to say is that if you do something shitty, generally you hurt others around you and things things happen. And so what we tried to show is that if, if kids would do something shitty to uh, pay attention and, and that they would see the harm they're creating themselves by by harming other people mm. rather than just like, you know, uh, in society just locking a kid up for, you know, breaking the law. Um, it would be, you know, maybe if you break a window, you in, in this other way you would go and um, – actually see and experience the 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 shit that other people had to do to fix the window and, and right. do all that you know more of a reparative type of justice system rather than like a a, a penalty punitive justice. punitive that's right the yeah right so when but, you did take these kids like what was like the most extreme example of someone who's like really disturbed because i would imagine there would be like a big sort of uh like there was a lot of variables. Like some people would be kind of fucked up, and some people would be really fucked up. It's probably a spectrum, right? Oh, absolutely. Generally speaking, very few were. I would say actually fucked up. Very, 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 very few. What, were, what was the case with most of them? Um, they were kids in families and, and like communities that didn't know how to make space for them and deal with them. They mm. didn't have mentors. They didn't have uh, people to. They didn't have parents that, that gave them the right direction. I don't know. You know, like being a kid is, is uh, you're supposed to test boundaries, right? It's, right? it's like that's the part of your development in your ontogeny. That it's like you are defining your personality. You're defining who you are and you need to test the boundaries. And, um, you know, some of the kids made uh, only two. I probably worked with at least a thousand, maybe more kids altogether. Uh, maybe that's a stretch. A lot, right? For a lot for a long time. And only one I went to bed at night worried I might get my head kicked in. Just, really? Just one. One kid. And um, maybe one or two other kids that I walked away actually not enjoying being around them. 
almost every other single one. It was just like I walked away. What did you do about the one that you worried about getting your head kicked in? You know, just kind of, just kind of sat with it. <laughs> There's really nothing you could do. You know, did it was it just like initially or through the entire experience? That was through the whole thing. Oh, Jesus. that was through the whole thing. That was uncomfortable. Fuck that. Yeah. What happened to him? Oh, he's dead now. No, I have no idea. You know, there's, there's, I mean, there's laws and there's things you don't generally get to stay in touch. With oh, right, right. This right. was actually at a, a, a state program. So this was a, um, in lieu of a jail sentence. They came out. So, oh, so wow. this kid was locked up. Um, wow. What did he do? I don't remember. I don't know. Probably stole a car or beat somebody up or I, I don't know. He was just super aggressive. He wasn't. No. no. But uh, he had that. He had. The th- I had the feeling that he had no empathy for Ooh. others' pain, right? Or he couldn't Ooh. feel that. That's the that's the only time it ever got any interaction with any of those kids ever got. You know that that sent chills through me. You know that was like, and maybe maybe I didn't feel in any practical sense that he was going to hurt me, but I had the sense that if he did, he wouldn't care, right? Oh wow! Because there wasn't that connection. The same thing we're talking about in a sense. Like that's the thing. Get dropped in a in a group of eight boys or young men and um it was so funny like uh, you could you know we worked with therapists with therapists come and all this stuff but all like the fundamental thing i took away from that experience was that for in order for these for these guys to grow up and sort of move on and get going in their lives you know what they needed was just somebody like me to just to to show up like it's right. really not complicated right yeah and and so just let them air things out and talk about better ways to do things and sort of get some perspective now you know we maybe talked about this last time but then they'd go home and not necessarily have that support anymore and be back in their old uh arena where where um, you know their old friends and their old family dynamic and all that and it and it you know it's hard it's a, it's a hard way and so i left that whole experience just feeling very strongly that a we can as a community and society do just way better with some simple simple changes we, we can do better at raising our boys we just can because i've done it when you have someone that has no empathy though what can be done to instill empathy in someone who lacks it if anything so i don't know you know if you go on that far end of the spectrum where there's nothing i don't know and i don't know if that's possible but I do know that it's a muscle we can practice. I mean, empathy is something that right. we that we can get better at, and that we can pay more attention to. But when That's you find for sure. a fucked up young kid without empathy, like how what what sort of motivation do they have to gain empathy if they feel like? no one has shown it towards them or I don't know what. So, so that's, that's it. That's it. Right. Yeah. So the motivation that you, I believe you could show is for them to, if they could let you caring about them really in, if they could really feel cared about. And what's incredibly sad but real is that I think some people, you know, grow up in a, in a their brains develop. They develop as humans where they don't have that. And so the actual wiring, the actual state to, to, to receive that isn't there. I think that that is possible to gain. And, you know, there's been, what is that, a child called It, you know. Have you heard of that book? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's possible in the much in the less extreme cases. Um, I mean, in a sense that that's kind of a lot of what I do is help uh, guys become more empathetic. And the 
not just for the benefit of others, there's right? A, there's, for the benefit of themselves. There, the reason why I brought this up is a yeah. podcast um, on Radiolab about Bernie Madoff. Okay. And um, where this guy contacted Bernie Madoff, he sent him letters, and then finally Bernie Madoff called him, and they did this interview together. Where the way it works in prison, I guess, at least the prison where Bernie Madoff is, you get 15 minutes to talk on the phone, and mm. then you have to wait 15 minutes before you could talk again, mm. and then 15 minutes again. And so they, this is how they did the interview. Like 15 minutes on, 15 minutes off. 15, and after a while, he sort of gained his trust, and he went deep into how this whole deception started and how Bernie Madoff, if you don't know the whole story, Bernie Madoff is the guy who had this gigantic Ponzi scheme and stole billions of dollars from people. And yeah. It's called Ponzi Supernova is the uh, Radiolab episode. Wow. And uh, one of the things that was the most chilling was how little empathy he had towards the people that he ripped off, right. and whose lives had been destroyed. His son committed suicide. Um, uh, people like literally went from having all of this money to being so broke they were like dumpster diving. And he I didn't mean, care. He didn't give a fuck. Yeah. I mean, he 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 had no empathy, yeah. and he's a monster. I mean, yeah. it's it's re it's really interesting to see like this guy's reaction to Bernie Madoff's lack of empathy and yeah. realizing somewhere along the line, like, oh, this guy does not care. That was one of the things that the investigators had said about him, that it didn't seem to bother him at all that he had done this to these people. Mm. That what, what bothered him was that he had gotten caught. Mm -hmm. But it didn't bother him that these people had been devastated. What bothered him was like that people had made money weren't giving that money back. Like he wow. called one guy and told him the guy had made like $9 billion. He was worth $9 billion, rather. Seven billion of it had come from Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. And he told me how to give that $7 billion back. The guy had a heart attack, drowned in his pool. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is kind of hilarious because like, you can't live with $2 billion. <laughs> Yeah. I yeah. guess, well, maybe it's not liquid. Maybe he couldn't give back the $7 billion. Maybe it was impossible. It was tied up in real estate and holdings and this and that and the other thing. But Isn't it amazing that one person's reality could... I, just, I would love to step into his head for a second, wouldn't you? The, to Bernie mm. Madoff, just to see what it felt like. I right. think that'd be very helpful to be able yeah. to step into that because just to see. Right? I can't picture it. Yeah, I just can't picture it. Well, yeah. I could also couldn't picture not being able to live with two billion dollars either. Like what? What is it? I, it's that that weirdness of the game, right? Is like yeah. you, you score a hundred points, you want to score a thousand points. Score a thousand, you want to score a million. Score a million, you want to score a billion. Yeah. It's like you never stop. And people never, they never achieve peace. Like, that's what I always used to say about Bill Gates. Like, why the fuck is Bill Gates still working? Yeah. Like, you'd, right. he'd hear about him being the richest, and now he's not. I mean, he really did sort of find some sort of a balance. And yeah. now almost all of his work is done towards humanitarian efforts. He's, you know, he donates a lot of money, a lot of charities. A lot, I mean, a lot of really good work, mm -hmm. like, post his Microsoft career, which is, like, really kind of unique that a guy sort of found his way. Found has kept a shitload of money. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah, you know, apparently he's got some stupid fucking house with a submarine in in the Pacific Northwest, where like if someone tries to break into his house, he can fucking escape in a submarine. I kayaked by his house once. Actually. Did you? Yeah. Did, did they let you? Does Secret Service fucking swarm you and ask you where you're going? Yeah, nobody. I couldn't see anybody. They're probably all in the trees. Are you allowed to? Just walk by his house? How's that work? Well, it was a private island, at least the place that I was at. I was just told by the guy I was with. We were actually throwing crab pots out of a kayak, and um, 
I was just told it was his like house. I don't know if it was uh, main house, might have been one of his houses, but uh, we were, you know, I don't know, fifty yards off the shore, and it was a private island. A uh, private island. That's when you're yeah balling. <laughs> yeah, you got your own island. You know who has an island? Tyler Perry, the guy that makes those shitty movies and TV shows, those awful shows. Tyler Perry. Yeah, he has a private island. He has a private island. Where? I don't know. You can't know. <laughs> if you know. I actually feel. Uh, some sadness for Bernie Madoff. Really? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, that's, I don't know. He's as tortured as, you know, I think it's harder to feel empathy for him, but he's as tortured of a human as, I don't know, pick anybody. Maybe. Right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. I, yeah, I'm, I'm project, I don't know that's a fact, but I don't know. If, you, if you're hurting that many people, are you, are you kidding me? Like, you, you, you aren't feeling... You don't feel all right. Yeah. You know? It's a it's a weird line. Like, when do you feel bad for someone? Do you feel bad for Jeffrey Dahmer? Like, how did he become that cannibal murderer guy? How did, right. how did that happen? You know, like, what, what causes someone to go from, like, you have a boy. What causes someone to go from your cute little baby boy to being some monster? Yeah. Like, how does that, what is it about people yeah. that makes it? possible for someone to go even not for, to a monster but how about that young boy that you were working with that had no empathy that yeah. you worried about sleeping near like mm-hmm. wh- who what happens like the developmental process of a human being is way more fascinating to me uh as an adult with children than it was when i was a young man when yeah. i was a young man and i was single and i didn't have any kids i just thought people were fucked up and some people weren't and right the people that are fucked up fuck them and death penalty and like kicked their ass mm-hmm. and See, I've been just, obsessed with this my, all my life. Really? It's been ama- absolutely. Like, what, what is this process of growing? Have you ever heard of the novel Siddhartha? No. By Herman Hesse. Hesse? I'm not trying to say that, but it's a, a classic novel, an author from Germany. And, and it, it uh, chronicles the life of a young guy named Siddhartha. But the whole book, what it is, is it goes through his entire life, from when he was born until he dies. And in it are these, like, very specific stages of life so he's you know he's like young wandering years and then um he needs to work so he goes to a city and and he learns from a from a trader and then he needs to learn about love so he so he gets with a prostitute but but all in these big stages and that book did something to me at an early age i just got obsessed with this process of maturing and there's a there's a term for it called ontogeny which is the the process of an organism's growth over their lifespan. It's just this natural sort of like a tree. An ontogeny of a tree is it is a, you know, a seed that drops and then it sprouts and then it roots and then it grows and then it dies. And, and it is, yeah, it's been an obsession of mine. And, you know, getting thrown into that work of working with kids and, yeah, it's, it's – um, I'm so fascinated by it. And I don't have obviously any, you know, solid – here's how it goes but but i've been looking into it for you know a long time and um i just uh, i think that oh anyway back to the book the i used to read that book out loud to these groups of kids i was working we'd sit around the fire at night and i'd read a novel you know it'd be out there for days so you'd have right. time to read a novel out loud and uh you know it's just something poetic not about just the words but about watching the life someone's life unfold as a whole story and watching them you know i don't know grow up yeah it's just it's this weird fascination i have and and specifically because and it all come i keep saying it comes back to that time in the woods but i only worked with males with boys and it wasn't i didn't choose to do that 
I felt like do a lot know, of girls do the same sort of therapy. Yeah, yeah. I think, you but know, they must go with women too. It's probably exactly. a problem with men going out there with girls. They'll right? they'll do mixed uh, leadership groups, so like a male and a female mm-hmm. for for both boys and girls. But yeah, there's always a girl with the girls. Um, but yeah, man, I just got obsessed with this. What what? How do we grow up? What does it look like? What does it feel like? How come it's not happening? Because that's a big part of what I felt as I looked around. Is that I think that a lot of adult, physically adult men walk around with uh, parts of themselves that are still 13, yeah. 6, 2, 18. Right. You know, like there's, there's this human maturation process, this human journey that we all have available to us that I, um, you know, I think we're too busy a lot of times to let it actually flow and happen. And well, I, I think that true, that's true, but I also think that there's a, a maturation process that comes from overcoming obstacles that oh, yeah. a lot of people just don't encounter. They don't encounter difficulty, so they don't learn about themselves. That's part of it, but I think that a lot of times, even if they do encounter difficulty, they don't let themselves actually feel, they don't let themselves experience it, right? Mm. Like. Everybody has shitty things happen to them, but you can keep that shitty thing at a distance from you, right? You can, right. You can like, kind of address it. You can sort of, I don't know, act out against it. But unless you actually feel it, I mean, think about, and this, this gets into things like uh, trauma and resilience and how people are able to move on from hardship, right? And, and a lot of the, the research, um, there's a... Uh, a psychiatrist called Bessel van der Kolk. Never heard of him? No. Fascinating dude. He's uh, He started working with the VA in Boston and uh, worked with return vets from um, from uh, Vietnam and then did this whole uh, lifetime of study about trauma and how it comes into humans and how you can move through it and how you can heal it and all this stuff. And uh, it... It just, it it basically comes down to uh, being able, like, to be more resilient, to be able to get over things. So, say, a death in the family or an attack or an assault or whatever, whatever that trauma could be. That if you don't allow the body and your system to actually go through, feel, and process what's going on, you you lock it up. You lock it up. You, you like, it, it, uh, and it, it doesn't, I mean, it's almost like it gets implanted in you somewhere and then it just like this festers festers and it's mm. and the cool thing is is that the you know the, the the science now is is showing the the very specifics of this it's not just i mean it's still theory right but it's um so i feel like i got off what, what we were talking about there um but yeah i i feel like like you said being able to overcome things of course absolutely yeah. and part of that is just to me, um, again, speaking more f- from a male perspective here, but part of that, and I think a lot of what our culture says is okay, is let's uh, horse our way through this, right? Let's force a, let's push harder, let's let's conquer our fears and our feelings. Let's let's not address it. Let's just push right, run through the wall, right. basically, or take antidepressants. Well, <laughs> well, right. So that's yeah. that's the thing. Then there's this other whole way to to get through hardship which is by actually surrendering to it and letting your this like brilliant system that we have as humans to process it and, and get through it. Right. right. It's, and, and that's, that's a way to wholeness and, and, and health in some ways. Right. I think they're both important. I mean, like, yeah, you need to be able to, uh, you know, 
ignore the pain and, and power your way up that mountain or, or save somebody that's getting hurt or whatever. And then there's this other part I think that needs to be in balance, which is um, accepting what's happening and getting through. I, I, yeah, just a way to accept what's happening and let your body do what it needs to well, do. Well, I also think there's an extreme lack of discipline that a lot of people have. And that yeah. discipline, a lot of it comes from overcoming difficult obstacles and understanding the work that's required to get things done. Mm. Making these little leaps and bounds, making these improvements in your life, getting better at things. I think those things are really critical to the human mind. Yeah. I think the mind has desires, and one of the big desires is it has a desire for improvement yeah. and a desire to achieve goals. And there's a lot of people that these goals are laid out by other people. These goals are like graduating from third grade, graduating from fourth grade, a lot of shit that you don't want to do. So these goals are meaningless to you. So you never feel like you've accomplished anything that you actually want to do. And next thing you know, it, you're a 35-year-old man working for an insurance company. You don't want to be there. And you don't have any real part of you that you've nurtured. You've just sort of plugged you into these other weird shapes and conformed to them. And then you just want to go fucking crazy and probably bitched about it all the way along probably the way, right? yeah you probably complained and you're yeah. annoying and you're a whiny little twat and you're out there just <laughs> yeah. clogging up the freeway beeping yeah. at people and giving them the finger i mean that's a lot of humans that you run into that's a lot of it's a lot of this life so yeah and that points directly to what you know i do and what i'm building is is that so you take eight of those guys and you set up a, a room and you say all right in this space right here fuck all that we're going to be actually honest and say what we're feeling, but maybe can't even really access. So like all that frustration, all that shit or whatever, it could be anything. That's so hard for people to do, right? Like what, what kind of techniques do you employ to get someone like, say if you got some guy who's closed off and has been bullshitting his way through life. Yeah. And then all of a sudden here he is, this 35 year old guy that's really troubled. that's in a room with you. Yeah. How do you get that guy to open up? Safety and, Safety. and leading by example and being vulnerable by example. And when somebody it's part of this connection, like sitting down with somebody that if you, um, after one of these last retreats, one of the guys came up to me and said, safety is the new ayahuasca, which is maybe a strange thing to say, but hmm. he said he'd been all over the world doing drugs, trying to find growth, trying to find himself. And we went, he went to this retreat and all we did was sit down and say, okay, our intention, all we're doing, what we actually are doing here is just, uh, making this, uh, you're not going to be. You're going to be supported. You're not going to be laughed at. Like, like it's a safe space to do it. And then you just uh, you dive in and, and lead by example. And that example, like, plugs others right into it. Like, it's this amazing, like, symbiotic thing that happens. So, right. And, and people just sometimes break open, sometimes crack slowly open. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden, so maybe after 35 years of only being other people's program, you get in touch with what you actually feel what you actually want and who you actually are. It's just like this fucking, it's like, holy shit. I think for a lot of people, it's really difficult to try to do what you actually want to, because you've spent so much time rewarding yourself with material items for these little accomplishments that you've, you've become in debt and you really can't escape the system. I mean, that's a <laughs> totally. real problem with people. They totally. have a car that they're leasing. They have a house yeah. that they're renting or that even worse that they bought and then they, they're stuck and then they don't know what the fuck to do. They have to keep this insurance company job yeah. and it's just rotting them out from the inside. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's like a whole society built on, on uh, 
trying to keep you not who you are right. in a sense, I think, you know, but so what we're finding, which is really amazing is that if you stay on that surface level, if you stay on that sort of, um, I, I don't know, like, so, so trying to improve yourself, uh, goes so far, but it's kind of like an iceberg thing, right? So like if your goal is to make more money, right. And, and here's your goal and you're going toward it and you, and you, I don't know, listen to podcasts or you, you do all this stuff and you, and you try to figure out how to do it. How do, how do I do it? How do right. I, and you keep hitting the wall. You keep getting sort of uh, thrown down and you don't really understand that underneath. Meanwhile, is this massive sort of like pent up shit. And if you address that massive pent up shit, then all of a sudden getting to that goal is a whole different story. It's a whole different story. It's uh, it's, um, it's like always trimming the – like if you need to get rid of a tree in your yard, but all you do is every day you chop the leaves off, the leaves off. But if you dress that, the roots, the deeper stuff, and, uh, you know, and again, there's a stigma against that, especially for dudes, right? So th- right. there's a – like guys don't want to go to therapy. Guys don't want to get into woo-woo, hippie, spiritual shit. Or guys, they do and they're annoying. Sure. Right. They don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the ones that do want to get into it. Right, right. Exactly. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I pull this off or not, but I feel fluent in, in, uh, like, uh, you know, bro culture and fluent in, you know, like I've, I've, I've gone down that spiritual route too. And, um, well, you I've, recognize when the spiritual route is legitimate and when the spiritual route is like a ruse as well. Oh, like yeah. sometimes even the spiritual route is just something that someone has plugged themselves into to try to find some meaning. Exactly. But meanwhile, it's not authentic. Exactly. Um, well, so how are you doing this? If you don't mind me interrupting, like what you when you so you're you're planning on taking guys like say say if I'm that 35 year old guy that works in an insurance company for example, and I'm just yeah. fucked up and yeah. I just I'm going crazy, man. I need to do something. Hey, this seems interesting to me. Yeah. Wilderness therapy. What does it mean, Dan Doty? What does that mean? How do I get involved in this? And how do you, how do you get me out of this rut I'm in? Yeah. So three three things we're offering right now, and um, the first is a is the wilderness route, which is a like a six day expedition. And you can just sign up, pay some money, and go in the woods and change your life. Like pretty, uh, we'll climb mountains, we'll go fishing, we'll, um, and all along I'll set up this uh, sense of safety in this community and this sense of uh, brotherhood. And how many guys you know? do you go with? You know, ten or twelve for that. And just you and these ten people. A, a couple other leaders and myself. A couple leaders, yeah. right? Because so, you have to deal with interpersonal disputes and all the nonsense. You're going to have to. Sure. Most likely encounter, sure. right? And, and so I'm I'm working with uh, some guides to just ter- take care of the logistical stuff so that I can manage the the group the group mm-hmm. stuff more. That's one offering. That's 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 a that's kind of our capstone offering. We're doing weekend retreats, and we've been doing these for the last six months, and they've been just catching on fire. About thirty guys at a time uh, in a lodge. We've been doing them in the Berkshires, so out in the woods, a couple hours from New York City. 30 guys there and uh, just set up sort of an intense weekend experience of uh, practicing the stuff and we'll hike and, and do trail work and, and all that stuff. But more importantly, do with the, the self, you know, diving into yourself within the presence of other guys, which is um, just, you know, I've done therapy. I've been in therapy. I'm not a therapist, but um, when it's been very helpful, like I, for, if you work with a good therapist that really is really good, I couldn't recommend it more. But there's something about this these men's retreats, uh, which I totally understand sound unattractive to a lot of guys. I just I, sounds I like get, a lot of butt fucking. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. That that is that is your 
that is the big first sort right. of response, right? Oh, um, the woods, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more. We, oh, I can be open in the woods? Yeah. We, well, we made a, uh, one of our advertising videos for it, and it just starts out that a guy uh, stands up and says, yeah, I heard about a men's re- retreat, and I thought, the first thing I thought was, this is going to be fucking awful. <laughs> and so I get it. But um, yeah, I, th- I think we're getting further enough along where um, the guys that are going through this are, are literally coming back with the most positive feedback that I could. I couldn't write the shit, like like changing their lives and just like literally. Because um, it's, uh, you know, back to that thing, we're, we're offering a place for them to uh, accept a part of themselves that's been offline for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's a big fucking deal. It's a really yeah. big deal. It's also, you know? probably also a big fucking deal to just separate from the high for a little bit and just be outside of cell phone range and be in the woods and just take a big deep breath of fresh air and look around at the wilderness and just realize that this is this is reality as well and you're you've been plugged into this civilization reality this Mm -hmm. this city this urban environment which is entirely unnatural and has only been a real thing for the past couple hundred years like Mm -hmm. literally didn't exist for the gigantic swath of humanity that that existed before that yeah i think that swath is that the right word there not really i think it does a couple (laughs) deep things It, it lights up this this um this neurobiology that that of us as social animals i think it it goes back to um more of a tribal sense of living too. It's, it's like all of a sudden you you went from being isolated and lonely to having thirty dudes who would honestly fucking do anything for you in that moment. And I got a buddy, a good buddy, is a returned special forces um, operator, and he he sits in my men's group in Bozeman with me, and uh, really struggled with coming home, and then found our group, and within a month his life was back on track, like wow. like just killing it, man, just like kicking ass. And, you know, I mean, there is a connection between, I wouldn't say the general military, but the special forces, you know, you read books and hear about the the aspect of brotherhood and how they're there for each other. You know, this is definitely a very different venue, but I think the bond and connection that that is created out of it is, um, and this is, you know, from from his mouth too, is it's, he went, you know, I don't know how many years several years in the special forces living with in close connection to guys got thrown home was all of a sudden isolated and they came into our group and just had this this uh closeness again and it just bam just like back to back to killing it wow yeah yeah it's it's i mean i'm very aware i mean it's i've been scared to start speaking about this for years man i mean it's very uh to me even I look at advertising for similar men's programs and things like that. It's just so turned off. I'm like, right. oh, God. It just seems weird. It does But I seem think people weird. need resets. You need some sort of reset. And we've talked about this before, about we've both experienced those resets through psychedelics yeah. or, or through these hunting trips, you know, and these yeah. wilderness trips. Like, but I think people get caught up in the momentum of their daily existence and all the requirements of that daily existence, and they become overwhelming. You know, like we were talking about, like the your, your lease that you have on your car, or your mortgage that you have in your house, and the credit card bills that keep coming in, your student loans you need to eventually get to, and blah. It's a fucking overwhelming grind. Yeah. 
And sometimes people need something that removes them entirely from it for a certain amount of time that allows you just the fresh air, yeah. the, the, like not, not just literal fresh air, but uh, the metaphorical fresh air of allowing you to just separate from the, the, all these weird influences and all this weird energy and momentum, the momentum of your, the life that you've created or that's been created for you that you're sort of trapped in. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I, so that reset thing, I mean, I, I, I think I want a warning is that if you start getting a reset, I mean, from my own experience, I need it pretty regularly, Yeah, you know? So the, actually the biggest uh, goal of, of this, of every man, the organization I founded is to, our goal is to get a million guys in men's groups because that is the same and, and it happened. So this last retreat had 30 guys show up, um, about 20 of them wanted to immediately get into a, a weekly group to to basically continually and regularly experience the same thing. It's, well, it's like a hit, you know. Well, there's it's a like, thing, too, about men uh, in this culture where there's not a lot of sympathy towards men that are struggling. No. It seems like there's this thought that men are the patriarchy and we're dominating the world and we're almost like subhuman. We're responsible for all these issues. So men with issues like, oh, cry me a fucking river. What about women with issues? What about trans people with issues? What about gay people with issues? What about black? Oh, Jesus Christ. Like a, a regular white guy with issues. Like your issues are bullshit. Like, but it doesn't just, matter. You no, are who yeah. you are. You can't change the fact that you're a yeah. white guy. So if you're a white guy with problems, nobody gives a fuck can't they see that it all connects though no they can't don't can't they see that an unhappy white guy it, makes everybody else unhappy too what the no, fuck man it, they don't because it, it's not convenient for their narrative the sure, narrative is that sure. you're responsible for all the problems in the world even though you're just dan Doty from bozeman montana you know it's no i get it but it's it's so i mean that's one of the most powerful so um, the podcast that i'm launching is a self improvement podcast for guys but instead of going to experts and saying, hey, you know, what's the best morning routine that you can do, designing a routine or whatever. I'm, I'm talking to regular guys and, and asking them to share, you know, more vulnerably than they normally would. Because that's what happens in these scenarios is that we learn from each other just as simple human fucking beings. Man. Mm -hmm. We're just like, you know, like one guy might share that he's having trouble with his son, for example, or with his kid. He doesn't know how to do it. And, you know, like... No matter, I don't care. Like a bunch of other guys will say, "Like, holy shit! I thought I was the only one feeling that. right." You know, and it's just all of a sudden, you and it's back to this isolation thing. You think that you're, we all think we're fucking special, right? Mm -hmm. We all think that we're so unique. And the actual, if we actually took the time to connect with one another, we'd be like, "Oh, wow, we have a lot." In, like, and, and just that, just that is enough to uh, drastically change somebody's day or and what's, week or what's life, motivating right? you to venture off because you were working for 0.0's big production company they make yeah. you know meat eater and anthony bourdain's show and yeah. all these different shows what's motivating you to step away from that and start doing this this is what i've always wanted to do and this is what i've been what, what compels you i want to help guys yeah and, and, uh, yeah i just i and i know that i can you know, even if it's just one guy, whatever it is, but working out there with these kids and seeing all of this, it just, it just left me with the, the deepest, deepest, um, satisfaction, fulfillment, satisfaction, but also a sense of purpose. It's like, mm. and then I tell you what, man, I had a, I had a boy, I had a son last year. And when he came out, 
and there was something inside me that said, if you don't do, if you don't act on what you know you can bring, if, fuck you, fuck it. Like right. this is your kid. Like, uh, like there is, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm also, you know, I was born a, a fairly sensitive, I could feel, I was born a sensitive kid, right? I could feel other people's pain. And when I'm, you know, working with these kids and now these men, I mean, I don't know. I want, I want good for people, right? I want good for you. I want good for my family and I want good for, I, I don't know. I feel connected and I, and I want to do what I can. No, to, it's a, it's a know, noble purpose. Yeah. I was just curious about like what, I mean, you, you have a very promising career and a lucrative career with 0.0. So for you to leave that, it has to be like a really compelling sort of a pull. Yeah. I mean, that job and that career was an amazing wild ride and in uh, some ways felt like a, you know, a temporary sidebar from what I'm really meant to do. You know, I've been, I've been writing for a long time and, um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, whatever this thing is that I'm doing, it, it chose me mm. somehow, or, or I don't know, maybe that's, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I don't, how long can you ignore the thing inside you? that screams at you that says you have to do this you have to do this or you want to do this yeah well you, you shouldn't know? yeah you definitely shouldn't yeah i mean it's obviously beneficial and it's obviously something you're compelled to do and it's obviously something that you feel like is very fulfilling so why ignore it so when do you start this podcast it's out it's out it's out what's it's it out. called it's called the everyman podcast the everyman podcast yeah e-v-r-y-m-a-n what about chicks no fuck off fuck off chicks you got your own you got oprah Okay. I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's a good question. I, I don't think it's. Uh, why? Uh, why'd you spell it that way? Confusing because, the shit out of people. Well, because the full one was like a lot of money or wasn't available. The website. Oh. It was just a practicality thing. Okay. Yeah. E V E R Y M A N was uh, not. E V R Y. So E V R Y, folks. E V R Y Man podcast. How many episodes do you have out? Two now. And then, yeah. Right now. Are you doing them every week? Like, how are you doing it? I'm going to try. I'll probably be uh, every two weeks to start, and then um, uh, just got to get in the swing. You're on iTunes, yeah, the whole on deal, iTunes. all that jazz. Yeah, beautiful, man. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap it up. So cool. uh, that's awesome. It's awesome that it's out there. It's awesome that uh, people can get a hold of it. I always love talking to you, brother. So let's do this again. Yeah, brother. Thank you. All right. Appreciate Thanks, it. Dan yeah, Doty, ladies and gentlemen, Everyman Podcast. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Thaddeus Russell. See ya. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. Thank you to Caveman Coffee for fueling us through this journey. Go to cavemancoffeeco.com. Use the code word Rogan. You'll save 10% off their awesome coffee and uh, other beverages. Thank you also to LegalZoom. Go to LegalZoom.com and use the code word Rogan at checkout for special savings. Thank you to my all-time favorite underwear, MeUndies. Go to MeUndies.com forward slash Rogan, and you will save 20% off your first pair. And thank you each and every episode to Onnit. Go to O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. Okay, that's it. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with uh, history professor Thaddeus Russell. Uh, who has been on the podcast twice before. Great guy. Very interesting. Should be a ton of fun. So until then, enjoy your life and see you soon. Bye.